here it comes again, lunch. Will it be the same old, same old? Or are you ready to take a vacation from the ordinary with the new Jamaican Jerk Turkey Sub at Firehouse Subs? Freshly sliced smoked turkey breast, craveably sweet mustard sauce, and a hint of Caribbean seasoning. Just $5.55 for a medium. Save time. Order the new Jamaican Jerk Turkey Sub on the Firehouse Subs app. Firehouse Subs. Enjoy more subs. Save more lives. Participating locations, limited time only, plus tax. Prices may vary for delivery. This podcast is a member of the Voices of Wrestling podcasting network. Visit VoicesOfWrestling.com to hear the rest of our great podcasts, as well as show reviews, columns, opinions, and updates across the world of wrestling. Many, 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 are listening to the Voices of Wrestling podcast with your hosts, Joe Lanza. X out, go listen to some boring podcast where they're, where they're afraid of their own shadow. Okay? Don't listen to Joe Lanza. Because Joe Lanza's not changing. And Rich Crange. <laughs> Who delivers <laughs> this guy in a big spot? Joe, don't yell at me. In the, in the big spot. Who delivers better than this guy? Stop yelling at me. I agree. All right, welcome once again to the Voice Wrestling Podcast. I am Rich Crate alongside, as always, the King of Banter himself, Mr. Joe Lanza. Joe, how's it going? You know, I don't know if I'm a Dave Meltzer-approved accurate star raider, but... Um, <laughs> Not like his friend. <laughs> but I, I will tell you that, you know, I was looking over uh, my January data. Rich, I've got 26 four-star or better matches rated in the month of January this year. That is one match off of my personal all-time record, uh, you know, of, of data that I have tracked going back a number of years for a single month, which would have been, I believe it was either August of last year or the year before. I can't remember. One of them G1 months where I had 27 matches. So all told, when I get done watching the rest of the January stuff that I haven't seen yet, I haven't seen any All Japan. There's just some other random stuff I haven't watched yet. I'm, it's probably going to be... My personal highest-rated month of all time. And I just thought that was worth noting. I mean, Rich, this has been an incredible month of pro wrestling. It really has. And I think the, what's, what's important about that, too, and we're, I'm, we're getting a little bit on our, uh, on our forums. We have kind of a, a, a grassroots match of the month thing going where, where some posters will go on there and, and talk about what their favorite matches of the month were, and, and people will keep a list or whatever. And even that thread is, like, packed with, like, incredible matches from top to bottom. And, and the thing that's really interesting about that is <clears> – <throat> The other ones that you mentioned were, were G1 months, where there's just this rapid succession. I remember there, it was 2014, is, I, I, and I wrote an article about uh, August 2014, because that's when all the G1 shows were all in August, remember? And that was the one before they did the split show. So it was like all these, like just a massive, like every single card was just filled, filled, filled. There was that night four that had like four, you know, four-star better man. Like that was just an insane, and we said that there was no way this is ever going to happen again. This is the greatest month in wrestling history. Nothing's ever going to top this. And now here we are in a month that did not have any tournaments, did not have anything special really go on, but is this action packed with, with with stuff? I mean, yeah, you had the the UK tournament, but that wasn't regarded as being a great in ring tournament. That was regarded as being a great you know character building tournament or a great you know entertainment standpoint tournament. But otherwise, you know, yeah, you had the Rumble, yeah, you had Takeover, yeah, you had Wrestle Kingdom, but still, like to fill out these little gaps with different things where there's Noah in there, and I know. Um, I don't believe you watched CWF Mid-Atlantic, but some of those matches from this month have gotten like incredible 
uh, you know, praise from, from different corners. There's been like CZW matches that I've seen people have really loved. Uh, Europe at RPW had a bunch of good stuff uh, with, with their high stakes show. So it, we really got like really lucky <laughs> this month. I don't know what, do you have any theories as to why it happened or is this just the pace we're on now for the rest of 2017? No, I don't think every month is going to be like this. Um, I, I think, here's the thing too, and it's not just, I just don't, I don't have just like a bunch of, random four on the dot star match. There's some all-time great matches that happened this month. Obviously, we've talked about Okada Omega at length, but Rich, this Royal Rumble was a great show. I mean, we're going to talk about it in detail in a few minutes, but I I really thought the Cena-AJ Styles match was an all-time match. I mean, so you've got some all-time matches that occurred in this month, and I think maybe what happened was, I mean, look, Wrestle Kingdom's always going to produce. That's a given in the month of January, but it's kind of like what we talked about last week. The Royal Rumble, you know, WWE has made this Royal Rumble weekend a thing like they've done with the SummerSlam weekend and the Survivor Series weekend last year, so I think it helped that there were some big Evolve shows that helped tack on some quality, and like you said, the WWE UK tournament was something that doesn't normally happen on a yearly basis, and I think also, if I look at my own personal sheet, I've got four or five matches from from Noah the Reborn, Rich, which yeah. no one was expecting that because Noah... I think that's, yeah, I think that's really a huge part of it is that Noah was, was you, you didn't really have to watch Noah for almost an entire... I mean, there were still hardcores that liked it and there were still a lot of really fun matches here and there, but this month, and I, I only sampled that 1-7 show and I already saw a ton of stuff I loved. And I didn't even get to the main events yet, and those are the ones that are most highly regarded. Yeah, so that that Noah really came out of nowhere. If you're if you're watching a lot of Pearl, I mean, um, no, they they've been they're really they're the hot promotion right now in terms of uh, you know match quality and hot shows in Japan right now. So uh, that kind of came out of nowhere. But I don't know. I just thought that was worth noting. And yeah, the Rev Pro show too. The Rev Pro show that had Shibata and Riddle, uh, which I thought was an excellent match. That had three other matches I thought that were just as good. So, I mean, yeah, it's all over the world. and it, Even TNA. You had TNA this month, too, I right? have. Yes, that's right. The Moose-Mike <laughs> right. Bennett match. Right. That, that's where you get the extra. I mean, that, that's a cherry on the top right yeah, there. Yeah, I mean, TNA. TNA. And, and that, too. I mean, you know, TNA had a live pay-per-view this month that was a good show. I mean, so when TNA is producing a good show. And I'll tell you, the TV hasn't been that bad. Because Lashley and Eddie Edwards had a, had a, uh, a 30-minute Iron Man match this week. On impact, which Rich again that flirted with four stars. It was an excellent. Match. I do have to go. I, I have that on DVR. We'll actually go back and watch that at some point because well, well, I've heard really good things about that it. Yeah. and the um, the the uh, the the what do they call their hardcore gimmick? Monsters Ball, right? Uh, yes, yeah, I believe not hardcore justice, right? No, Monsters Ball. I think that's yeah, it was Rosemary and um, uh, what do they call her? I think they call her Jade in TNA. Jade, Isn't yes. that her name? In- Mia Yim, yeah, the, you probably know her as that. Yeah, yeah okay. th- those two matches in particular, even if you want to skip the rest, because re- nothing's horrible on the show, but those two matches are well worth going out of your way to see. Even TNA's off to a good start here. So January's been a big-time month. I mean, I, I just I, I, I think it deserves to be pointed out, and I think you're right. I think it was that August 2014. Again, I can't remember the year. I went back and counted the other day. That might have been the one where I had the 27 matches. This match is gonna. This month is gonna top it, and 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 that's and 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 like you said, August is kind of cheating 
because you got the G1. I mean, it's every night. and You get G1, and then and what happened Summer in the Slam. past few years, you've gotten SummerSlam and the SummerSlam weekend, too. So you've gotten an NXT TakeOver show. You've gotten SummerSlam. You've had Wrestle Kingdom, or uh, uh, the G1, rather. And then you would have sometimes get, you know, Evolve would jump in on the weekend and do stuff, too. So, yeah, that was almost cheating in that sense because of the tournament aspect and because of what a G1 gives you in terms of just a, a, a explosion of great matches. But... For this to be right neck and neck with it in your ratings, and, and you're not alone either. I've heard a lot of other people say that as well. We have other people that follow us or, or, or interact with us, and they all keep you know their tallies of, of matches they rate. Pretty much across the board, everyone has basically said, well, Jesus Christ, this January has been awesome, which is, is we're spoiled. I mean, I really did. I, I thought that, and we kind of talked about it too, with 2016 being you know the, the year of, of everybody sharing and everybody caring and do all this, that I thought that 2017 would be a little bit more rugged in terms of in-ring because you wouldn't be able to get as many great matches or whatever but there's also the idea that a lot of the you know great wrestlers are in a confluence of a few different promotions or whatever and that's helping a lot too you know where you have wwe now where, where you just got a ton of really good workers and a really good match you know potential in in wwe main roster stuff now more than almost ever you've been able to get a great match out of a wwe pay-per-view you know main event in terms of styles and cena and then we'll talk about reigns and, and owens a little bit too. So there, there's a lot of real fun stuff going on, and, and NXT seems to be getting a little bit of new life as well, with a little bit more of an influx of talent coming in. So it, it's been interesting to see, and it'll be um, fascinating to see how the rest of the year goes uh, as well. I mean, the pace, yeah, it's probably not going to be the same pace, but you know, it could be a sleeper year that we maybe didn't expect. Yeah, I don't like to talk about award, certain awards until the G1. That's my personal rule. Like, I don't start talking about match of the year or promotion of the year because you got to see how G1 shakes out. But, Rich, would it shock you at all if the top two matches in our Voices of Wrestling match of the year poll are Okada, uh, Omega, and AJ Styles versus John Cena? That wouldn't shock me at all. I mean, Not at all. And no, were, no. I know it's only February 2nd, but those matches were so ridiculously off the charts great uh, and so high profile on top of that and involve you know, wrestlers that people really like. All, it has all the right ingredients where I could easily see those matches finishing top five and probably one and two. What, what, what's going to help those both, Matt, is you're going to get the different camps that, you know, the New Japan camp is going to vote for the Oma, uh, Okada Omega and the WWE camp will probably vote for, you know, Cena and Styles, which I'm not saying that in a bad way. I'm just saying that, you know, people like what they like and they like, you know, their preferred promotion. And those are so far ahead of, of you know, what anything that I can dream of of those promotions right now that I feel like those are going to be ones. And, and they won't take away votes from each other because I feel like the different camps will enjoy one or the other more than, you know. So I think, yeah, they're, they're both going to be up there. And I think pretty much everybody will have them in their top ten. You, you know, that's the other thing that's going to benefit them because Omega and Okada it was, was such an important match. And, and, and people that don't even like the New Japan style or don't even like those two guys pretty much have to admit, okay, that was pretty awesome. And you're getting that with Cena Styles, too. I mean, everybody, every single person. I haven't seen one criticism of that match other than everybody saying that might have been John Cena's best performance ever and that might have been Styles' best performance ever and that was one of the best, you know, WWE matches I've seen in, in, in years. So, yeah. that, or, or that people, it's, people, And people are at least saying for, you know, that spot fest sort of match that it was one of the best of that style. That right, yeah, yeah. So it, it's going to show up on, yeah, I, I think it's do that's a well. reasonable, yeah, that's a reasonable prediction that those will probably be in, in at least in the top five, maybe one, two. So, so Rich, do you want to do a, uh, do you want to do a full two-hour uh, show uh, pitting the matches against each other and, and, and tearing one or the other down? 
Uh, that would be fantastic. Like people, yeah, let's, uh, like let's... people spend you know two uh, two days doing on Twitter. Uh, isn't that ridiculous? I mean, you know, isn't it just enough to say that both matches were really fucking great? Yeah, I logged so, on on Twitter on Monday and saw that argument, and I just immediately just said, you know what? No, I'm not going to do it because why? Who can What? Why? Who has the energy to do that? Just both matches were good. That was my hot take of the day. Was I liked both matches for entirely different reasons? It was yeah, just both like... great matches. I mean, I I, I didn't <laughs> I didn't watch Cena Styles and then immediately think hmm, I need to compare this to Omega yeah. versus I I don't know maybe I know what I'll do I'll go on Twitter and say it was better than Omega and Okada and then, and then everybody will get mad and then we'll have an argument and then rub my it. hands together and wait for my mentions I mean is this what people do with their time I guess it is but we'll, we'll talk about uh Cena AJ and excru- we 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 have we have reason to make fun of people for wasting their time as you and I talk every week for three hours that's right, uh, that's right. <laughs> guaranteed every single week but yes we judge other people of how they spend their time but hey we're, we're a big time show so. and we're gonna spend a waste a lot of our time breaking down this Royal Rumble show in a minute but before we uh circle back to this fine January rich I think we need to circle forward a little bit to February and talk about Bloom because Valentine's Day is coming fast, and a beautiful artisan-designed arrangement of flowers is the best way to let someone know how much they mean to you. Unlike big flower corporations who cut and sock you with hidden fees, Bloom That is different. Each bouquet is beautifully designed and handcrafted. What you see is exactly what you get. Each bouquet comes in an elegant burlap wrap and presents an amazing first impression for your special someone and they will be proud to show it off. I'll tell you, Rich, they sent me those flowers. We talked about them a few weeks ago. It was a tremendous batch of flowers. I don't know if you got the same one I did. I did. We, I did get the same one. The nurse is very happy. That's the ones I uh, – we, we talked about the, uh, this, this sponsor, Bloomnet, uh, a few weeks ago uh, when we were alluding to the bouquets that we got. And yes, they were fantastic. The nurse loved them. She took a bunch of pictures. I'm going to put them up on her Twitter account earlier. You put your picture up with, next to your uh, candle opera and your empty wine bottles. So – um, how did the experience go with you uh, passing off the roses to different fine ladies? Uh, my flowers are all dead because I don't know how to take care of them. But I, did you ever put that flower food in? I did, but it was too late. They're all dead. You're such you're dumb because ours are still around. So ours are still going strong, and that, that's one of the things that that was awesome with Bloomnet because I've gotten I've gotten bouquets from like you know different competitors. I won't bury them, and you know unless they want to pay us, and that's fine. But um, no, I've gotten ones, in, and a lot of times you'll get them for like a day, and they're dead, or you open the package, and they're already dead. These ones, you know, surprisingly, they they stayed out in my front porch for like four hours in, in, in freezing cold and rain or whatever and I brought them in and they were fine and they looked great and they held up for you know, almost now what are we at two weeks now and they're almost you know the nurse had to pick out a few here and there and she made her own little bouquet with with some of the other flowers and, and we've had you know bouquets all around the house just from this one first one that we got so it's, it's pretty incredible so far. Boom that is already a great value but because we're big shots in the industry Rich we were able to get an exclusive offer for all of our great listeners how does this sound a gorgeous bouquet bursting with Valentine's colors called The Posy. Check it out on their website and just see how amazing this bouquet is. And that's not all. You'll also get a pre- premium designer vase. This normally costs about 15 bucks. You won't pay a thing. You'll also get homemade caramel treats, normally $10, but again, free for our listeners. This is a once-in-a-lifetime offer that you can only get by going to our exclusive Bloom That page, bloomthat.com slash V-O-W. That's B-L-O-O-M-T-H-A-T slash V-O-W. Get the perfect gift as well as a free vase and caramel treats for the ultimate Valentine's Day gift. Again, that's bloomthat.com slash V-O-W. Don't wait. This offer won't last long. And Valentine's Day, Rich, is sneaking up fast. Now, the Royal Rumble... I think we have to open up with this. I think there's no question about it. 
Um, first of all, quickly, the attendance. They're claiming 52,000 in the Alamo Dome. Uh, I believe I haven't combed through the recent observer, but didn't Meltzer say that it was probably closer to about 42,000 or somewhere in that neighborhood? Somewhere there. Yeah. He was having trouble nailing it down. Exactly. He said some people said somewhere between 30 and 40. Some people said 42. So it's kind of been all over the place in terms of, of what the number actually is. Well, we had a guy there. We had an inside guy there. And, and he counted everybody. He counted every head. Okay. He did, he, he did not count every head, but oh. uh, he did take a look, and he, and he sent us some information. He said the side facing the hard camera was completely full on the floor, and the bottom two tiers, and the upper tier was about 80% full. The same side as the hard cam had about 75% full on the floor and the first two tiers, and the third tier was, uh, was too hard to see. But I'm, I'm thinking if the uh, third tier was 80% full on the other side, where more fans were sitting anyway – then it probably wasn't full on that side. We're only, you know, we're 25% of the seats were empty on the floor in the first two tiers. Uh, the far end from the entranceway, the bottom two tiers were full and the third tier was tarped off. So they weren't even sitting people opposite the ramp on the third tier. They had it tarped off. And then uh, two thirds of the upper level on the same side as the hard cam were tarped off as well. So, uh, you know, they worked the number a little bit. You know, you, if, they're, if they're telling you there were 52,000 people there, you can safely assume that there were probably no more than about 45,000. And I think um, some of the other estimates that are coming out are even a little bit lower than that. But regardless, Rich, you draw, let's say, 45,000 people to a non-WrestleMania wrestling show. This is a massive success for the company in terms of uh, fans drawn to this show. So there's no way you can knock the attendance. That's an enormous cavernous building which, I mean, you're, you're probably not even going to fill that place for a WrestleMania, to be completely honest, if they open the entire thing up. I mean, that, that's, it, it's a huge building, and they did a great job uh, filling it up. This will be the second most attended show in the world, without question, this year behind WrestleMania. And to be completely honest, it probably won't be that far behind WrestleMania. I think WrestleMania will probably do what? Probably in the mid to high 50s, right? They probably uh, Yeah, I think so. Yeah, I forgot how the, 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 that building is, or the... the Stadium they're in, but yeah, I'm not sure how exactly that that gets worked out for wrestling. Yeah, uh, stadium, but yeah, you'd be. I mean, especially with the WrestleMania stage. I mean, people kind of forget. Yeah, uh, with this Royal Rumble, they were able to just kind of do a very basic stage or whatever. WrestleMania, they do a huge thing. So, um, yeah, that'll, that'll always take out some seats um, as well. And and yeah, I think uh, Meltzer alluded to this because a lot of people were asking questions that you know, regardless of what the raw attendance number is, in terms of like a paid per person or per, you know, per head or whatever, I mean, this might be one of their most profitable shows ever, like in terms of stuff. Cause you know, we look at the last, you know, Royal Rumble in the Alamo Dome 97, you know, they had reportedly, you know, 60,000, but half the seats were, you know, five bucks or a dollar, or they were given away for free or whatever. They weren't doing that with this one. They were trying to sell this one legit. So yeah, even if there are a little tarped off and yeah, even if it is 40,000 or, or 35 or whatever, um, money-wise, it's going to be one of the higher-grossing. I mean, it might be the highest-grossing non-WrestleMania show that this company's ever done. I mean, it might it might be right up there with SummerSlam '92. And when you add in, you know, the difference of, of ticket prices, it might be the highest-grossing, you know, non-WrestleMania show ever. So that that that's definitely a feather in their cap. Did you blow off the pre-show, my man? Oh yes, I did. Sorry. And what did we say was going to happen? We said the club after we ripped them for never winning the titles. <laughs> We're going to win the titles on this show and make us look foolish. So, of course, they do on the pre-show. And a pretty nondescript match against Samus and Cesaro. You know, a generous three, three and a quarter star match, I guess, if if you want to be generous. But we have new tag team champions, and they are the club. Do you have any hot takes on that? Um, No, I think it was – I I like them getting in the mix there as actually winning the titles. Um, 
the big thing is going to be if they ever do face anybody else besides Cesaro and Sheamus, because that's the way Raw, or Raw and SmackDown basically when booking tag teams as of late is like these two guys face off for or these two teams face off for for months on end, and 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 then they go away and they never get seen from again, and then it's these two teams again for another few months. Or so, and and I'm looking at the Fastlane card or the reported Fastlane card. I mean, it looks like this is going to be the match for a little while, but I would like to see them mix it up a little bit. But I'm fine with them winning the titles. I think it's it it makes sense because they've gotten so many chances that it was kind of getting silly that they still. We're getting title opportunities without ever winning. So I'm glad that they actually did finally win these. I don't so. know if you saw SmackDown this week, Rich, but American Alpha laid out an open challenge. And every, I did see every that, yeah. team on the brand team, <laughs> the Ascension <laughs> march down there and the Vaude Villains, that was tremendous. Listen, if there's an open challenge, I never understand why everybody doesn't come out from the back. I, I, I really appreciate Well, we, we laughed about that. I remember a few months ago where, where uh, they did it for the Universal title, and it was like, all right, who wants this title shot? And, like, four guys came out. And I was like, why is everybody not out there? Like, yeah, I'll take a shot at the Universal title. Why not? Like, remember that was the one where only, like, Corbin and a few other dudes came out or whatever. Yeah. And I was like, oh, like, everybody should be out here. Yeah, they did the same thing on ROH TV this week where uh... – um, uh, Marty Skrull laid out an open challenge, and, and it was like... I meant Big Cass instead of Baron Corbin. It's, it's yes, so Cass gonna, was... In, someone's going to call me out. Cass that, was in the yeah. four-way match, yeah. First man eliminated. And uh, a whole cavalcade of men came out. Jay White came out. Chris Saban came out. Dijak. Jonathan Gresham came out from the... That guy, I don't think he's ever won a Ring of Honor match. <laughs> he's only been in... Yeah. <laughs> I, I think he's like 0-20 in Ring of Honor. But see, that makes sense. That that makes logical sense, because if you're going to say open, then fuck, yeah, I'm going That's out. Right. Why not? Yeah, what, what could this hurt? What else, yeah. is, what else is Jonathan Gresham getting a title match? Right. <laughs> if I lose, well, whatever. I'm in the same spot anyway, but maybe I get lucky and get a small package or whatever, and then I win. You know, Ron Simmons, he worked for him, so why wouldn't it work for, for someone it's else? great. Gresham came out there. He was like rubbing his chin, like all excited. I, I was into that. You know, so they're going to <laughs> A, uh, and the other guy was Leo Rush, which was interesting because when I saw Gresham standing next to Leo Rush, it took us – we didn't even get into the main card of the Rumble yet. We're already on a diversion here. But I, I, was, I saw Gresham standing next to Leo Rush. They're about the same size. I didn't realize Jonathan Gresham was such a tiny dude. Yeah, he is. Yeah, and Leo's like a, a, a child. Leo I Rush mean, is, I, is I, tiny. You should like I stood next to because I, I went to he was at Dreamwave once and my buddies and I were like, standing next to him, and he is a literal the size of a child. It, it is it's pretty shocking. And, how small he Gresham, is. if he was bigger, he wasn't much bigger. I was surprised by that. And then you have Dijak standing behind him, and he's like twice their size. Oh yeah, yeah, he's a big boy. But uh, but yeah, so Gallows and Anderson are your new champs. Also on the pre-show, uh, oh, Gresham is listed at five four. I didn't know he was listed. Oh, so there, two, there I, you go. Then I was just yeah. for whatever reason I I didn't look. I didn't think he was a giant. But I didn't realize he was only five yeah, foot. Five four seems. Yeah, Leo Rush is listed at five six. I think it's a generous five six. But uh... yeah, I tell you though, I, I'll go back and 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 check the tape. But Rush might have been taller than. Yes, they they're listed as as Gresham being two inches shorter. Yeah, than, um... I didn't realize he was such a, a short guy. I I, I had no idea. Um, it was just something that that struck me because I, I saw him. You know, Dijak was twice both their size and. Even Saban and Jay White were towering over the both of them, and they're not exactly, you know, they're not, you know, they're not, they're not Braun Strowman either, you know. Chris Saban, yeah, Chris Saban isn't the giant of the industry, so that's yeah. So anyway, uh, let's see. We had Lynch, Nikki Bella, and Naomi uh, knocking off Bliss, Mickey James, and Natalia in the uh, six woman uh, tag match. There wasn't much to say about that. And Nia Jax basically squashed Sasha Banks. Rich, this is a match that uh, if you have some spare time, I would go back and watch. I did I did see most of this match. Everybody had basically arrived at my house by this point, so we sat down and watched this one. So I, I did see all of this. I got to tell you, you know, um, there was a lot of belly aching online about this and people joking about Sasha being a jobber or complaining about Sasha being a jobber. Look, 
I know they're probably going to set up this four-way at WrestleMania, which means Sasha's going to get her heat back at some point and probably uh, beat Jax somewhere down the line to justify putting her in the four-way. I kind of wish they wouldn't do that, though, because this was a good example of finally just pushing someone strong. Nia Jax went in there and got a clean, decisive, dominating win over a former champion and someone who was respected in the eyes of the fans like Sasha Banks. Rich, that's how you push somebody. Did you have a problem with this? I had no problem with this. I didn't. No, I, and, and people are always going to kind of bellyache anytime Sasha Banks is on the receiving end of, of like a squash match or whatever. But, and this, and, and make no doubts about it. I mean, this was a, you know, for all intents and purposes, a squash match. But no, I had no problem with it because just as you said, it, it, it helps when it just is clear that one person was better on this night than the other person. It doesn't destroy Sasha Banks. It's not like Sasha Banks can never, ever be rehabbed after this loss. It, it's, people get like way too serious about this and, and forget that WWE books it this way where they just, they flip a switch on people and say, okay, now you're, you know, we care about you now for these two months and whether that, whether or not that's the best booking method or whatever, but it's good to know that you can't just have a match where one person just looks dominant over the other. Cause I thought Nia Jax looked like a million bucks after this match and she needed this, especially given her character and her persona and, and how she wrestles or whatever, it was perfect for her just to go in there and decimate Sasha Banks. I mean, from a size advantage, that would make sense in, in, in logic standpoint too. So yeah, I, I was fine with it. I thought it was a really good match in terms of getting the story. I mean, what the goal coming in the match was getting Ajax over. She destroyed Sasha Banks. She got over success. I, I mean, look, my only problem with it is I know they're not going to, and I know they're going to blow it because I know at some point Sasha's going to get the better of Nia Jax to justify that four way. Sure. To me, in a vacuum, though, if they just keep it like this, and Sasha Banks was just someone in the way of Nia, this is listen. This is called a push, people. To get pushed, you have to have strong wins. I have no problem with Nia Jax getting a strong win over Sasha Banks here, even if this meant that Banks was out of the mix for Mania. You know, but yeah, and 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 there was no uh, no like interference, no you know chicanery. Nothing. She just beat her, and it was just better than her. You know, and that, that's fine. You the, need sometimes. The only nonsense you can possibly point to is the attack weakened Sasha for this match. The 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 attack on her leg a couple of weeks earlier, but that's okay. Nia Jax, but that's is good. Heel. That's good storytelling. That's good exactly. storytelling, though. Yeah. You're leaving you're leaving Sasha a small you know sliver of an out. I look. I look. I just. I, I just. My one takeaway from this was the complaining online. I listen. It's called a push, guys. I mean, you know, sometimes people, it. You know what it is? This company so rarely gives people a strong win. People like don't that, know what it looks that like. They don't anymore. remember yeah. what it looks like. It's just well, and you got to remember that too. We talk about this all the time. I mean, you come from a standpoint of you've been watching this for thirty plus years or whatever. I come from a standpoint of watching it twenty plus years. If there are people that, let's say they're you know twenty five years old or whatever, they only they grew up with like nineteen ninety nine and nineteen ninety eight. Wrestling, you know, 2000 was their intro to, to, to wrestling. We talked to, you know, Case Lowe and Andrew Rich, two guys on our website. You know, Case Lowe says, oh, well, like 2005 is when I started watching. And Andrew Rich, who's a guy who's a little bit older, he's like 2003 is when he started watching. If you grew up in that era, that's all you know. And I'm not calling those guys out and saying that they would think this, but I'm Just saying. Just perspectives is all your point. Yeah, if like you're a 27, 28 year old even, like what you grew up with was. You know, you don't know what a real, like, you know, go back and watch these Saturday nights or whatever. And when it's obvious a guy's getting a push and they get this rally going and, and they'll destroy dudes and they'll absolutely kill people. And that, that's fine. Like, that's what a push looks like. But I think people have forgotten so much what that actually is because they're so used say, to the 50-50 booking. Yeah, have, people have the network. Go back and watch WWF pay-per-views from the 80s and, and see how many squashes are on them or, like, extended squashes like this was. I mean, you would see it uh, fairly frequently. Pretty much on every show, you'd have one or two matches where one guy who was getting a big push 
would completely squash another guy who was, you know, you, you know, you just the guy they weren't doing anything with it at that moment. You know, whether it was the blow off to a feud or just getting a guy going or whatever reason it may have been, it was far more frequent than it is now. So I think you're right. People just aren't used to seeing matches like this or stories told like this because everyone's used to the 50-50 booking. And, you know, and that's my fear is that they're going to 50-50 this at some point. Because I, I think this was – I think this got Nia Jax over stronger than anything she's done to this point. Yeah, well, unfortunately, the, the what we know that the WrestleMania match is going to be basically forces them to exactly. do 50-50 on the way there. If it's going to be a four-way, it's going to be – Bailey defeats Charlotte, or you know, Sasha defeats Nia, then Bailey defeats Nia. You know what I mean? Like you have to do this thing where it's like, oh, we need to have all four in there because they're all even. And so, that's my issue. That kind of stuff. And that kind of, so, and yeah. that's my issue with it. And that kind of bleeds into the opener on the show where Charlotte uh, beat Bailey. I thought that. Listen, I thought this was a a very good match. I thought the finish with the natural selection on the apron was awesome. I thought that was a tremendous visual. I thought it was creative. I thought it was a, it was a completely new finish that Charlotte's never done before. Uh, I, I, it looked devastating. And again, this was a clean, solid, definitive win for Charlotte. And you know what, Rich? Coming off of these two matches, now I wish the direction was just Nia Jax versus Charlotte. I don't need Bailey and Sasha involved in the match because Nia and Charlotte look so good coming off of these two matches. That's the match I want to see now, but... Unfortunately, that's not what we're going to get. Were you into this match? Did you like it? Um, yeah, I liked it too. And, and the thing about the finish, I mean, I don't think it was spectacular. And I thought Bailey just didn't not really do much for me in the entire match. I thought this was Charlotte really doing everything um, here. I don't know if you had the same uh, thought as well. But I love the finish because, uh, like you said, it put Charlotte over strong. It wasn't a normal, you know, it, it was a little shocking when the finish came. And I know a lot of people reported it and said that their reaction was like, oh, the finish came out of nowhere. But I don't think it did. It was Charlotte just destroying Bailey, hitting the national selection on the apron, and then just kind of rolling her up. There didn't need to be a comeback. There didn't need to be kickouts. It just needed to be a definitive win for Charlotte. So I like that aspect of it. And yeah, like you're saying, when it was all said and done, watching those two matches back-to-back, it was just like, all right, cool. <laughs> Charlotte versus Nia at WrestleMania. That, that, that would be the clear direction for me, is that both those are, are both those girls are, are, are hot right now. They're 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 on a win streak. They look good, but they're we know that they're not going to do that. But yeah, I I like this match only from the aspect that I thought Charlotte looked spectacular, and she just keeps improving every single time she's in the ring. She's she's got it. She just gets every little aspect of being a great worker at this point now. So. I agree with you. I thought this was one of Charlotte's better performances ever. I really did. It's going to be a theme on this show. She was but, in control. She was absolutely in control in this entire. And match. She's still a little sloppy at some things, and I, you know, like okay, for example, she like Bailey had to come down from the top rope to pull Charlotte into the proper position for the flying elbow drop once she did the Macho Man elbow drop. Little things like that you're still going to get from Charlotte from time to time. I, you know, look, but the rest of the package is so good. Her character work, her facials, her work sometimes is a little sloppy, but it's always getting better. Look, I'm with you. I thought she was great here. I can overlook, for whatever reason, fair or unfair, I can overlook the little sloppy things about her. Uh, I might get on other workers for that, and I probably do. Um, uh, look, you know, I'm not saying it's fair, but for whatever reason with her, I, I, I'm able to overlook it. I think, I, I, I think they made the right choice. I think she's clearly the best pick for the star of this division, and uh, I really loved her stuff in this match. And I'm not as down on Bailey as you seem to be in this bout. I thought she was fine. I'm just upset that they're going to have – look, if it were any other pay-per-view cycle – if this were fully loaded or, you know, whatever the case may be, 
uh, name another Raw, you know, B pay-per-view. We'd probably be getting Charlotte versus Nia Jax, but because it's WrestleMania and they want to shoehorn everybody in there and give them their moment and, uh, you know, give them a chance uh, to pat them on the back for strong work all year, they're going to find a way to do this four-way, unfortunately. Um, Kevin Owens, Roman Reigns. Now, this match, Rich, as I'm sure you saw me tweet out, as uh, as you saw, as I'm sure you saw me talking about over the course of the week, <laughs> I was writing in my notebook, and I was fully prepared to go full five stars on this until the finish. And again, it's not that I thought the finish was. Uh, Rich, by the way, is sick. I'm so sorry. Yeah, I'm trying. I'm trying my yeah. best to like hide under the desk every time I have to call. He, yeah. he, he was going to, you know, he's thinking about blowing off the show this week, but he's uh, fighting through it. I had no voice last week. This guy's sick this week. I think you got me sick. I think I, there's only. I suggest you guys go to Bloom That and buy some flowers for your, <laughs> yes, for your girlfriends, your wives, and for us as we do this show. As uh, you know, as we're dying on the air each week. But uh, but Rich, I was prepared to go. Full, I love this match so much that I was prepared to go full five on it. My little personal thing: I cannot go five stars on a match that has a run-in finish. That doesn't mean. It killed the match for me. I see. I wanted to make this clear because people on Twitter were giving me a hard time, and I didn't want to try to explain. No, <laughs> no way. I didn't want to try to explain it in 140 characters, so I'm going to explain it here. It's a, wait, wait, hold on. 140 is not enough for nuance. You'd be surprised, you Rich. You'd be surprised. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. So I mean, it doesn't mean it killed the match for me. It doesn't mean it took it down to like a two star match for me. It doesn't mean I thought the match sucked. Rich, I gave the match four and three quarters. All I'm saying is, uh, you know, if you have a finish like that. If it would have been either man just beating the other at the end of that match, it would say five stars in the Joe Lanza spiral notebook, okay? And I still use the spiral notebook. I do not use the Excel spreadsheet. I'm old school. I like to be able to have my hands on it. I use the spiral notebook. It would say five stars right now. But if you're going to have the run-in finish, I, I, I can't call it a perfect match. I can't call it one of the best matches I've ever seen. So I loved it. I thought Kevin Owens was tremendous here. He took some you, – you know this guy's going to go out there and do reckless things with his body for the fans. I always appreciate that. That bump through the pyramid of chairs was one of oh, – When he set up oh, – when he set up that pyramid, so we had some people over, and there were a few of the casual fans that were there, and they are like, well, what's going to happen here? And they're like, oh, is that one guy going to suplex the other guy? I said, absolutely not. The guy in the T-shirt is going through there, and it's going to hurt a lot. Like there's, there's no way to fake that either because they – they were, you know, very casual. I mean, they were like a fiance of one, one of our friends. And, and they're like, oh, you know, and I said, no, that's going to hurt. And that guy just, every time there's a big time match, that guy kills himself for the enjoyment of the fans. And I said, that guy, Owens, is going to kill himself on that pyramid of chairs at some point during this match. And and, and that was cool, too, because they set it up. What, what I love about that, and, and Owens is so good at that, and he used to do it in Ring of Honor a, a lot, too, is he would set something up. And you know that at some point he's probably going to go through it, but he makes you wait the entire match. So there's always that that... Because it was really early, they set up that pyramid, and then like they went away from it for like 10, 15 minutes or whatever, and you're wondering, oh, geez, what's going to happen in that pyramid? And at the last moment, you know, he gets punched into the pyramid, and you're like, oh yeah, duh, I forgot that that thing was there, and then he dies on it. I mean, he's so good at making, you know, setting those spots up and then making you wait for him and wait for him and wait for him. I mean, that that was an old Ring of Honor trick of his. It was a lot like the Omega Okada table spot, where the heel sets up the 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 prop, and you know damn well that he's the one going through it at some point. It's just a yeah, matter right, of right. how they get there. And, um, you know, Owens being on the top rope and, and getting hit with the Superman punch and then flying backwards through those chairs. I mean, just, you know, doing the doing that backwards plunge. I mean, that was just it looks so dangerous. And of course, and, and and then that led to the finish. Roman rolls him in and he's all prepared to hit the spear and win the match. And that's when Strowman runs in, yanks him from the ring, destroys him. 
um, and uh, throws him back into the ring for Owens to score the easy win. Now, from a storytelling perspective, uh, they tied it into a neat bow the next night on Raw where they rolled the old footage of Kevin Owens promising Strowman a title shot. So Strowman's point of view was, well, shit, I can't let Roman Reigns win this match because I'm going to lose my title shot. So he had to go in there and cost Roman the match. Look, I, it's like it's like I said, I, look, I'm a, I'm a little annoyed at the finish. I, look, I always want a clean finish. OK, that's just me. I'm, I'm the guy who's sitting there watching 1991 All Japan. I'm sorry. I want the clean finish. But I get that that's what this company is. I didn't hate the finish. I didn't think it was terrible. It just means it can't be a five-star match for me. Still, probably, you know, it's going to end up being one of the, the ten best matches I'll see. I, I loved it. I don't, I don't know. As far as plunder matches go and things of that style, I mean, WWE does these kind of matches all the time. I thought this one stood a little bit above the rest. Both guys worked so hard. Both guys were so good here. Uh, there was intensity. There was drama. I thought this match had it all. Yeah, I, I really enjoyed it as well. I don't maybe I don't know if I enjoyed it quite as much as you did. I'd probably go four and a half or four, but because uh, I, I guess the plunder matches aren't really ever my thing in WWE. But like you said, I think of the plunder matches that they've had, this is probably one of the better ones they've ever had in terms of just you know a, a nice balance of 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 weapons and a nice balance of brawling, a nice balance of crowd stuff. So I, I thought it was really good. I thought more than anything, it felt like a Kevin Sting ring, a Kevin Steen Ring of Honor brawl. And that was a guy who, you know, won Best Brawler multiple straight years or whatever. I mean, that it felt like one of those. It felt like a Generico Steen or a Steen versus Carino or, or one like that, which is, is is good because it didn't feel like a tropey WWE um, brawl. And you get those so often now that they've kind of you kind of become tone deaf to them. So the fact that it was different and it felt different and it looked unique or whatever, well, well, that was important. And I, I really did enjoy it. Not quite as much as you did, but but I thought it was it was very good though. It kind of reminds you what we're losing with this shitty Kevin Owens title run with the type of character that they're having him portray. Because this he's the perfect kind of guy who can win matches like this and win them clean, but still come off as a heel just because he's a dick. And it would have been really nice if that's the direction they went with him, but you know, that's a discussion for another day. <laughs> that was another example of we were right. And when and Rich, we were really on an island that night on Raw when he won that title. We had people coming at us left and right telling us that we were being negative and just enjoy the moment. And we tried to warn everybody what this title run was going to be. Turned out we were right. And this match was like a teaser. Even the ma- even as a, like a microcosm, the match itself was like a teaser uh, for what could have been with Kevin Owens too because he goes out there and has this great match tailor-made for his style and then ends up having the bullshit finish anyway that kind of leave kind of a sour note on it. It's kind of it, it kind of encapsulates his title run in a lot of ways. Uh, so yeah, so um, and of course, you know, we didn't even mention it. Jericho hanging from the fucking birdcage. It's like that's the crap that Kevin Owens doesn't need. Yeah, yeah. and you know, the, the thing about that, I, I <laughs> that entire gimmick, which I know why they did it, and I know the background of it, but when it was all said and done, me and everybody that was watching Rumble with me kind of looked at each other and said, "Why did they have to do that?" There was no, it, it played no part. I mean, it had the the little brass knuck thing, which we knew was the trope that was going to happen. They would throw the you know a weapon down, and they would use it, and it would get used on the heel. It, they didn't do it; they kind of went away from the trope a little bit. But when it was all said and done. More times than not, I completely forgot that Jericho was even in the cage, and, and it seemed like such a worthless thing once you realize what the whole thing well, was. Well, it so. was Kevin Owens is a puss, and he can't win on his own, and now Roman Reigns is going to beat this guy because Jericho's not there to save him. But Kevin Owens gets saved again, this time by Braun Strowman. That, that was why. So, I mean, it, it's again, it's telling you that Kevin Owens is an unworthy champion because you cannot have a heel champion in this com- on Raw, at least, who isn't an unworthy 
uh, gift wrap champion. So that that's it's the same old story over and over on Raw. I mean, it's it's just you know it's the same boring bullshit. Mm-hmm. But the ma- yeah, you're right. The, the trope is just yeah, and I guess overall the idea was that you know even without Jericho's help, somebody else can someone help else him. had he to still, help. Him. Yeah. yeah, he can't possibly just win without you know no. <laughs> his buddy couldn't help him cheat, so somebody else. And had that's to come my point. Cheat, like so. if if you're gonna do this kind of character with somebody like the Miz, I don't have a problem with it because it works for someone like the Miz. Someone like Kevin Owens doesn't need that to get heat, though. He can get heat for just being a dick. And and it's very frustrating that they don't just allow him to do so. And I know what people are going to say. They're going to say, oh, well, then fans are going to start to like him, and that's going to turn him face. And do you know my answer to that every <laughs> Oh, darn. Yeah. You know my answer to that every time, Rich? Good. Some of the best <laughs> yeah. baby faces of all time were heels. Yeah. Oh, jeez, that would be awful. Yeah, were heels who the fans turned around on and 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 turned into major superstar baby. That's a good thing. I mean, why is that a bad thing? But anyway, uh, Neville Rich Swan. Neville is now officially the king of the cruiserweights by defeating Rich Swan. Fourteen minute match for the cruiserweight title. Rich, I had no problems with this match except for the requisite required, and I am fully, I am now fully convinced. That it's a requirement for these men. I'm not even doing shtick anymore. I'm fully convinced that it's a requirement that these guys must do a rest hold in the middle of these matches to kill all momentum. You have this match that's going great. These guys are doing their thing. Two excellent workers who know each other very well. Good job by WWE recognizing their past, talking about Dragon Gate without directly talking about Dragon Gate, all of those things, the old footage. They're having this good match. Neville slaps on a chin lock and grinds him down to the mat for like two or three minutes that felt like 30 minutes. And then they get away from it and just go. It's almost like the match took a commercial break, even though it was a pay-per-view and there was no commercial break to take. It's amazing. And I'm telling you, this has to be a mandate. There has to be a company mandate that says the cruiserweight matches must take a rest hold break. It has to be. Every single one of these matches has a rest hold that doesn't even seem like it fits with the rest of the flow of the match. What was the point I, yeah, of grinding I, him to the mat <laughs> at this point in this match with a side headlock? How did it? And it went right back to just doing the flips again and doing all the yes. fun stuff immediately. You know, right before it, they're doing other fun stuff. Then they get to a rest hold, and then they just go right back to it. And 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 particularly, it, it was glaring, I think, on this show. Because it was sandwiched between, you know, Owens and Reigns, which was nonstop action the entire time, and then Cena Styles, which we'll talk about here in a little bit, that was the antithesis of a rest hold. It was the opposite of a rest hold, that entire match. So uh, it, it's just, yeah, it encapsulates a, a huge issue with the cruiserweights right now. And, and I guess it brings up a larger discussion that maybe for another day where, you know, you have the main event and, and you look, you know, the main roster stuff, main event, main roster stuff with, with Owens and Reigns and, and, and Cena Styles, and they work a frenetic, crazy style where do the cruiserweights fit in that level? But I still think even then, like I, I know, you know, again, you know, kind of tapping into the casual fans that I had here, everybody that was watching here was like, wow, Rich Swan is really impressive, man. He does really crazy stuff. Oh, wow. Neville's really impressive. So even within the context of those other two matches being so high flying and so, you know, breakneck speed or whatever, people still enjoyed Swan and Neville and they still stood out except for the damn wrestle, which everybody kind of was like, eh, all right. And that's when everybody got up and got food and, and moved around and went to the bathroom. And it was like, you don't need that. Why did you do that? It, it, it's it, it, particularly in this show. I think it was so obvious when you saw the other two matches that, that followed. I, listen, I could easily buy the argument under normal circumstances that with a, with a spot fest plunder before and a spot fest indie style match after that uh, involving the biggest stars in the company, by the way, that the agents would have went to these guys and said, look, tonight, the spotlight's not on you. Grab a hold. 
The problem, though, is I can't. <laughs> but the other 15 minutes of the match or whatever were fast. Well, no, but well, I, where I, well, yeah, but the direction I was going to go is the, the reason I can't buy that, though, in this case is because even the matches on the main events on 205 Live or on Raw or on the other pay-per-views, they're all structured like this. This was not the anomaly. This was the norm. So I can't even buy that argument that they just told these guys, tone it down so that the other dudes look more impressive tonight. That's not the case. These matches are always like this. This is why I'm convinced now that this is a mandate. This has to be a mandate. And why would they think like that? Why would they not want this division to stand out for its athleticism when that's the obvious advantage that these guys have on the rest of the roster is not an answer I can give you. I don't know why they wouldn't allow these guys, why they don't want these guys to stand. Yeah, I guess it way. might. I, I guess maybe the question or the, the answer is that they don't think that it's an advantage over the rest of the roster because the rest of the roster can work a very athletic style now, or the majority of their, their main roster can work an athletic style. Obviously not the Strowman's and the Corbin's and, and, and all those guys, but like Owens and, and Cena we've seen and styles and a few of these other guys and Rollins and those guys can work that sort of style. So I, I guess maybe that's their answer, but then it's not then make it a grapple fuck division then. Don't make it like the pseudo high flyer thing that also does like grounded game. But then don't call it the cruiser. I, I, the whole branding is is, is Well you're off. right. I don't we know remember we thought in the beginning it was gonna be WWE's take on what Evolve was at the time, which would have been, you know, um ex- an exciting grappling style mixed with a little bit of flying. Uh, you know, a hybrid of a bunch of different styles. But This goes back to what we've been saying all along. I don't care what you want to do with these cruiserweights. I just want it to be interesting. And the problem is it hasn't been interesting. And, you know, they're taking some baby steps now. I think Neville, uh, this character, has some legs. They finally introduced introduced Tozawa. But that's another topic. They finally finally signed Mr. Tozawa. That's fantastic. And immediately, you know, slapped him with the childlike foreigner who can't speak English gimmick. (laughs) Which, even if the end result, is after three or four weeks of that, him speaking perfect English to what they think will be a monster pop from the crowd, but will in reality be, you know, polite clapping from the 19 people who are still there after a SmackDown taping. So that's going to backfire too. It's still a poor idea. There's other ways. It's Akira fucking Tozawa, one of the most charismatic wrestlers in the world, who, by the way, was, was got over in that match to the 19 people that were there. I don't know if you watched, but... Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm stunned by that, that Akira Tozawa would get over in front of any crowd. That, they had that's no idea who he was. Shocking to me. And <laughs> by the end of that thing, they were into all, everything he was doing. So you don't need to do this. He's one of the most charismatic wrestlers in the world. Just let him be him and he'll be fine. Yeah, the, the child like doesn't know English. Oh, my God. They did it with Tenru, for God's sakes. Remember when Tenru came in yeah. in 1990 and they had to like, hi, t- your name with, is I, what? Wasn't that Tenru. with Bob yeah. at WrestleMania? Yeah, Bob yeah. And he was like, and he was, or, or yeah, it was, it, yeah, Bob Euchre. And then I think once was... No, uh, Pettengill was with um, – who was he with? Oh, Bull Nakano. And they did the same thing with Bull Nakano. He had to, like, talk loudly. Yeah, Bull Nakano, champion. Like, like, it's like a dog. Like, they're not dogs. They're fucking human this beings. Is a 20, they just don't speak English. A 25 year <laughs> and he does speak he English, does speak too, English. Which, which is the worst. It's like he speaks English very well, too. Like, probably better than most people on your roster that speak English as a first language. And like, It's a 25-year pattern with this company. Yeah. It, it, it may lead to that. It may lead to him, you know, like he's like he knows they're being condescending and he's playing along and you're supposed to rally behind. him. Well, I think I think that isn't that what they translated him saying? Yeah, he said I actually he, he said I speak, yeah, I speak English. perfect English. Or right, right, right. Yeah. So 
and and if that's what they're doing, where he's he knows they're being con- Aries is being condescending and he's playing along, and then maybe he turns, maybe you know, then Aries gets annoyed and they do a Austin Aries versus Tazawa feud. If that's the end result, that's fine. But there's you could have gotten there a million other days. It's, it's 2017. Can't we just have a guy be Japanese and be a normal human being? I, no. Can he just exist and also be Japanese, but not have Japanese be the defining? factor of why he exists and that hard seems to do it i but is it that hard for him to just be a person and just be a human being and not oh my god he's from another country look at him like just he could be a person like he just wrestles and that's it i listen and he's from japan like it's okay like they have to do this like point and oh my god look at this like it's not 1970 anymore you don't have to kamala and like it's just he's he's uh, Japanese dude, it's whatever. It's like, you know, and maybe maybe he'll be throwing salt next. I don't know. <laughs> he probably will. Yeah. Oh my god. Don't even give me stuff. So John Cena, AJ Styles. I know we're gonna spend some time on this bad boy. Um, look, this was fucking great. I mean, I just, you know, I had a friend over for this one, and and um, you know, I was doing my pacing. Rich Joe Lanza was pacing in the den watching this one. <laughs> I saw. For people that don't know, Joe was in the background at Evolve seventy seven. Allegedly. Uh, he didn't know he was? Allegedly. No, you absolutely were. No, I was positive it was did you. Did you see the uh, the Mac Weldon hoodies? I did see the Mac Weldon hoodies, so I was I was positive that was you, and I knew it was you because I've seen pictures of you as well, and then, of course, we met uh, to meet Cody Rhodes uh, and, and beg him for an autograph that one time right. in Sioux Falls or whatever the hell uh, we decided that we met. But, um, Bluffs, Iowa. Oh, that's right. Yeah, yeah. But <laughs> um, I, I saw you, and you're pacing, like, the entire show. And I was like, and I sent you a text message. I was like, sit still, like, for God's sakes. Because I, I knew it was you because you found the longest corner to sit in or stand in. You're by yourself. You, you were huddled around security guards for some reason. Uh, first of all, I had – You found the nearest police because you were worried about something. I had, so you, listen, uh, I had great sight lines from that. <laughs> Second of all, I'm not convinced. You're by the exit sign. Did you think there was going to be a fire or something? Yeah, look, you were right next to the exits. Allegedly, <laughs> that's me. I'm not even convinced it was me. It was. I'll take a screenshot. I know it was you. Also, I wasn't alone. Okay, I was with, uh, you know, my friend who's in town from Jersey who came to the show. And I'll tell you who else I was with, Rich. I was with David Penton, also known as Marvel 2K. I believe he was up there during the hero match as well. So to say I was alone is also incorrect. He also got dived on during the show. Did you see that, Penton? Um, no, I didn't. He was in the first row, and I forgot what match it was, but somebody landed right in his lap. So that, <laughs> that was embarrassing for him. But, uh, but, but anyway, so I'm not good. Look. There may have been a pacing man up there, and that man may or may not have been me. Uh, but I, it was allegedly me. I don't know why you're ripping me. That's a good spot. I had great sight lines. No, it was good. It was good. I like I like standing at shows now too. You, see, I, I see. I, I listen. If people would, just, why doesn't anybody ever listen to me, Rich? If people would just listen to me, I've got good ideas in this world, but no one ever takes me seriously. But yes, I, I, listen. That allegedly may or may not have been me pacing. I stand at basketball games now, so uh, like the Bulls have uh, these different sections that are like these bars, and these bars have like a, a, a area where you can stand, and, and it's like a bar stool type thing or whatever. But you could you can stand if you want. And it's got like just a, a little ledge or whatever, and you can you know stand there and get, get drinks or whatever. We do that now. We we buy tickets like the cheapest tickets, then just go there and just stand there. That's right. Because you're right next to the bathroom. It's easy as hell to go to a bathroom. There's no lines. You go whenever you want to the bar. And then you just have really better seats anyway. You don't have to wait for – there aren't people walking in front of you doing the excuse me, excuse me, sorry, sorry, sorry game the entire time. And it's, it's incredible. I just, I, I've, I'm convinced now. And Rich, indie wrestling, I mean I, I, was, I was literally 10 feet behind the people in the first row who paid $75 for their ticket. 
I mean, you know, you, you know and I got better sight lines because I was elevated. So, I mean, I, I don't know. I just preferred. Stay. You didn't get to give you didn't get to give Chris Hero a, a farewell elbow though. So no, he got go. he got an elbow in Dallas. That you know, that's enough. You know, I had the front. I did have the front row seat in, Dow- in <laughs> Dallas, but I got a deal. I got a deal from a guy outside. You know, I pulled a little. I did. A little... <laughs> that was Gabe Sapolsky. That wasn't. Good <laughs> it guy, wasn't right? Gabe. I, oh. you know, you're not getting a deal from Gabe. I, let's be honest. I was gonna say, okay. Did he, has he ever charged you for that napkin one that he put you he on? He's not. That was New Orleans. You put your credit card on. As New Orleans, and for new <laughs> listeners, he his credit card machine was down. I had driven seven hours. I get to the building, the credit card machine's not working. Uh, then there's like a clap of thunder, and it starts pouring on me, and I can't get in the building. So I didn't know how to get in the building, so I just tweeted at Gabe directly. I said, "Hey man, I'm outside the venue. I just drove seven hours." So Gabe comes out, and uh, he decides to write my credit card number on a napkin. And says he's going to charge me later for the ticket. Keep in mind the show was half over, but that's neither here nor there. I didn't mind. And uh, no, to this day, now what, three or four years later, I've still not been charged uh, for that ticket in New Orleans. So, but he does, he, you know, he has my bank card number. Yeah, unfortunately, it's at some, it, it was used in some gumbo or something later. I'm sure it definitely is in the garbage can at some gumbo place in, in New Orleans. So. Yeah, but uh, but yeah, so if, look, that may, or may, that may or may not have been me pacing during the Chris here. Because here's the thing, Rich, I don't understand how the camera would have caught me because I was all the way back in the corner of the building. I'll show you. I'll show you. All right, well, if somebody can gif it or something, I, can tell <laughs> I will show. I was positive it was you. But, uh, but yeah, I was pacing during. You have a guilty conscience, I can tell. Already, already, look, you know. look, I was listen. I was definitely pacing during that match. There's no question about it. I saw the fresh haircut in the hoodie. It was undeniably. Joe I did Andrews, have a fresh so. haircut because <laughs> here's the thing: if I'm going to wrestling shows, I know that I'm going to be meeting and greeting people. There's handshakes all over the place. You know what I'm saying? I, Rich, I'm a popular figure. There's people coming up to me all show long asking to shake my. I got to have a fresh haircut and a Mack Weldon hoodie so I look sharp. You understand what I'm saying? So, uh, you know, I met a lot of people. I saw Sean Ross Sapp at the show. I had a nice little chat with him. So Firm handshake, right? Uh, firm handshake. He didn't have the worker good, handshake. Good, good. Yeah, he had a nice handshake. Uh, so, so you, you know, it's a constant stream, you know, so I got to have the fresh haircut. So I, I have my doubts, but I was pacing for the Cena-Styles match, too, in my den, like the classic clip at the beginning of the show, because this match was so fucking good. I mean, to me, and I know there's some people who disagree, and that, that's fine. To me, Rich, this was the best John Cena singular performance that I've ever seen. And, and there's two reasons for that. Number one is athletically, he was able to keep up with arguably the best wrestler in the world and arguably the best, the best athlete in wrestling in AJ Styles. Kept up with him move for move. Never looked like he was the inferior wrestler to AJ Styles. Kept up with, and, and he worked style, style of match and kept up with him. I thought that was big. Number two, his facial expressions, his tone, his mannerisms. John Cena went into that match, and you firmly believed, based on his facials and his mannerisms, that it meant everything to him that he won that 16th world title and that he did it over this cocky motherfucker who beat him twice and talked all that shit about him in the book. And, and, and he got that over, and he expressed that in the match. And his selling was top-notch, too. On rewatch, I noticed a bunch of little things I didn't notice the first time around. His coughing up and spitting after Styles would hit a move. And, it, and, and, and the, his trouble breathing. I don't know whether he was really blown up or not, but he got that over as well. John Cena was tremendous here. And I really think whether this was the best match he's ever been in or not, because we could debate that forever. I do personally believe this was the best John Cena performance that I have ever seen. 
it, it's certainly up there for me. I, I would have to kind of watch ones that I in, in my mind I have immediately. And two that really stuck out to me is, of course, the Money in the Bank uh, against CM Punk. That's one where you know he plays to the crowd a lot in that one too. It's it's athletically maybe not as good of a match, or, or nowhere near as as good of an athletic match as this one was, and it was a little sloppy at little times. Sloppy, but, little sloppy, little Yeah, but but it actually kind of worked in the in the context of that match, the, the sloppiness. But to an extent, I mean, this one was was pretty perfect with everything. So I think. That plays a little bit in because I like the idea of him sort of playing to the crowd and being the super heel and that and that aspect. So I enjoyed that. Uh, and then the Umaga match. I forgot. I, I forgot what pay per view that's at. And people kept bringing it up, and I, I kept blanking on what pay per view it was. But that's one that it's the Umaga last man standing match that he has, and that is like an all time, all time great John Cena one. And it's from ten years ago or so, so it's a little dated at this point. But even then, you can tell that this guy is just on top of his game right there and just wins over the fans like you've never seen before. Like, like that was the peak or, or the beginning of the peak of, of the John Cena, you know, everybody hates John Cena thing or whatever. And he was able to get those fans just to love him on that night. So I like that idea too, of him kind of turning the crowd uh, in that respect. But yeah, as far as in ring standpoint, uh, you'd really be hard pressed to find a better individual performance in this one. I, I, I don't think you're wild by saying that because like you said, he, he, he was neck and neck with styles that entire time doing crazy things like i love indie cena so much because he's just popping up stuff um one of the some one of the guys that was at, that was at my house talking about it said that he loves like these big time cena matches because it it looks like you just downloaded a new move pack on like wwe 2k17 or whatever because like he just bust out new shit he's like yeah you know what i'll do what a cradle a into this point. or whatever like it, it, what a, it's yeah. like you gave him it, it's <laughs> like you spam, gave him some it's dragon like... gate dudes move set that's what right see, like... that is an excellent point like you just downloaded like a, a, a you know a BB Hulk move pack and just gave it to John Cena. It's like what the fuck? Like and like you just watch him do this shit. Like even in this one, he does the attitude adjustment and then like cradles it and there's something. It's like what are you yeah, that, doing? Yeah, that, like, that was the finish. He he <laughs> right. he did the, he did the avalanche attitude adjustment. I don't know what he yeah. calls it, but he did the avalanche. What, doesn't he call it the super attitude adjustment? He calls it something else. But he did the avalanche attitude adjustment. He didn't get the pin. AJ kicks out. AJ did something, but then Cena reverses. He gives him a second attitude adjustment. And like you said, he holds on. He <laughs> just pulls just through. Not, yeah. He cradles him up. He stands up and then gives him that third one. And I, I was screaming to my friend, this has to be – do not ki- – if he kicked out, it would have ruined it for me. That had to be the finish, and it was. Perfect finish, definitive, clean in the middle. I mean, I don't have any complaints about this match, Rich. It's another match that I damn near went five stars on. And I'm going to tell you why I didn't. And, you know, it, it's that one spot, that one spot where people, some people disagree with me, but I know this is what they were going for, where where Cena came off the top rope and, like, it, he, he I, I think AJ Styles was trying to catch him in midair and seamlessly move into a Styles clash. It ended up with Cena just falling flat on his back, and it looked like a sloppy powerbomb. And then you could see AJ, with, with a lot of anger and frustration, sort of throw Cena's legs away, then pick him up and give him a Styles Clash. Which, AJ's frustration, combined with the fact that they went right to a Styles Clash, tells me that AJ was trying to catch that motherfucker in midair and deliver a Styles Clash in one seamless motion, which, if they would have pulled that off, Rich, <laughs> would have that's been the ambitious. greatest spot in the history of wrestling. That's that's ambitious, man. I I I don't. I, I'm gonna have to rewatch it because I know you have a few other people on your on your list of your, you know conspiracy theorists or whatever. Um, I think his anger was more that it was kind of a sloppy looking powerbomb, more so than because I just cannot imagine that AJ Styles and John Cena got together and said and Cena said, "Yeah, I'll come off. I'll I'll, I'll come off the top rope." 
and you, AJ Styles, will grab me, John Cena, <laughs> by the legs and put me in a... I just, I can't fathom that they Let would me think make that my would case. even be possible. Let me make my yeah. case. I mean, you have to know that wasn't possible. I've wa- I mean, that's I've, for, really ambitious. I've watched, it, <laughs> I've watched it a thousand times and broken it down frame by frame. Here's my – let me make my case. Styles has done spots like that before with other people. Kota Ibushi came off the top with, like, some wacky fucking Phoenix Splash deal, and Styles caught him in midair and did right. Splash. Now, I understand John Cena is <laughs> – yeah, I was going to say, John Cena's about 100 pounds heavier than Kota Ibushi. pounds. Look, I, I, of <laughs> solid muscle. I'm not saying that it was smart to try it. It was overly ambitious, but I think that's what they were trying. I'm also not saying that Styles would have just caught his entire body's weight in midair, but I think he was trying to at least latch onto his legs and catch his legs. And then maybe he would have lifted the rest of Cena's body off the mat and then put his got into position for the Styles Clash. You understand what I'm saying? Does that make any sense? I'm not saying that he would have caught him in the Styles Clash position. That would that's just physically impossible. But I do think that he was supposed to catch him by the legs at least. I think the power bomb deal is it just happened to look like a sloppy power bomb and it was a great cover by uh, Morrow or whoever you know said that it was a whichever. One of the announcers, you know, Corey Graves, whoever. And I don't even think who's on the SmackDown side. It's Moro, JBL, Moro, JBL, and Otonga, and nineteen yeah. other people, right? Tom Phillips, Otonga, <laughs> and Dick Enberg, and Vince Scully, <laughs> and Brent Musburger, and Dick Vitale. Pat Summerall is on Pat there too. Summerall, yeah. yeah, drunk off his ass. Yeah, as right. usual. Tom so. Brenneman, the, the entire SmackDown announce crew. Uh, one of them said that it was a power bomb. I just think it happened. They got lucky, and it looked like that. But uh, but yeah, that would have been one of the greatest spots in the history of wrestling, if he, especially when it happened in the match and with everything else that was going on in that match. Look, this match, Rich, I'm surprised. And Aaron Bentley made this point. Uh, he writes for the site. Um, he made this point. He was surprised, and I was surprised as Rich blows his nose. I'm so sorry. I'm, I'm trying to get as far away as possible. We were we were both surprised that <laughs> a lot of like some people. This was a spot fest. This was this was really a spot fest match, and a lot of people who don't normally like that style of match were going nuts for this match. That just goes to tell you, like you were saying earlier in the show, this match really does have universal appeal because this was a spot fest, man. This was move. This was a moves with a Z match, one after another. Your turn, my turn. But I think it was the best possible example of a match like that. Now, look, it had callbacks. To, the, to other matches that they've had against each other. So there was some psychology here. And, 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 and to me, I, you know, I, it's, it's like, I, you know, I, it's, people were comparing this to Omega Okada, and I think they're off base. I think they're comparing it to the wrong match. I don't think it was like that match at all. This is going to sound strange, Rich, but I think this best comparison for this match is Ricochet Will Ospreay. I think this was a very similar match to the Ricochet, Ricochet Will Ospreay uh, best of Super Juniors match. Just without the flips, without the crazy innovative spots, and with higher stakes, and 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 with twice the length, and just the best possible example of a match like that. It was a much better match than Ricochet Will Ospreay, but I think it was in the same vein because it was just two guys taking turns doing shit, uh, going out there to have the most uh, you know entertaining spot fest style match possible. What do you think of that? You think I'm completely nuts? Yeah, no, I don't think you're nuts. Um, I think there was a difference. I, I guess the vibe of Osprey and, and Ricochet was a little different to me in terms of that was a show off match. I thought in a lot of ways, which is not a, a criticism. We, you know, of course, we both loved it, and I love the idea that it was. 
the one guy trying to show that he was a better high flyer than the other and show that he was a better, you know, moves guy with a Z than, than the other guy, which I, I think was fine in the context of the match and with those two guys. I didn't necessarily get that here, I, but I think comparing it directly to Omega Okada, I think is, is wrong because that match had so much more of a deliberate pace, so much more of a, a pace built off history and, and callbacks and, 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 and personalities and that sort of things too. Like that first part of the match, the part that, you know, people criticize for being too slow and too whatever you go back and watch that match and it, it is perfectly paced. I mean, the perfectly paced for, for what they tried to get over and what they wanted to do. So I, I disagree with that, but um, I think it, it doesn't, I don't know if it fits in either camp, to be honest. I thought it was, it felt much more like the the very best of what we've seen this John Cena this indie Cena style that he's kind of evolved into over the last you know year with the Kevin Owens matches where it was very you know much kind of finisher trading and and, and kind of who's whose finisher is better and who can kind of withstand more finishers it was more the style that I thought it was so I don't necessarily disagree 100 percent that that it was like Ricochet and Osprey but. I don't think it was quite on the same level because that I thought the idea was to show each other off. And I don't think this was necessarily a show off match. I think this was just a who can withstand the other's best game. You know, I think I think you are right um, that y- you're right. Ricochet and Willisbury mm. was each guy trying to show off to the other and show off to the fans that they were better than the other. Um, and it was sort of more more meta. Does that make sense? Yeah, absolutely. Whereas, whereas this one was not that at all. This was. Uh, the the final match in a, in a three match series of a of, of a grudge of John Cena seeking redemption and all those things, still a spot fest. I but mean, absolutely. The best, what, yes. describing it in the best way. Absolutely, yeah. I just feel like this match was a spot fest. I don't feel like Okada Omega was a spot fest, and I don't. I, and look, I don't think spot fest is. An, a lot of people use that as a negative term. I don't. I like a good spot. Listen, if there was ever a time for a great spot fest, this was the perfect time and place for it. There was the right crowd. It was the right match. It was the right uh, two people in the match. Everything, all of the elements were right for this style of match. I think this was the right match to do. And I think they knocked it out of the park and they had the best. I thought this was the best of their matches of the Cena Styles matches. Yeah, I thought it blew away the SummerSlam match. And I liked that SummerSlam match a lot, uh, the one from last year's SummerSlam. And, and it did really well in our match of the year. But no, I think this blew that one away. Didn't it finish 11th right out of the top? Was that? Uh, yeah, I believe so. That was so, the one yeah. that just missed the top 10, right? If I'm not mistaken. But uh, but yeah, so I mean, I, I, I thought this was the best of their three matches. I thought this was a, uh, this was better than that. I think the first of the three Owens matches is the one that I like the best. And I, yes, because all three of them to me had diminishing returns. I think I liked the first one the best, the second one second best. And by the third one, I was like, eh, this is good. But I saw this twice before. You know what I mean? So I think it was better than the Owens matches, too. Um, I really think it was the best Cena singular performance I've ever seen. And, and I have to tell you, it might. I, the two matches that came up the most when I said it was the best, you know, it might have been the best Cena match were the Umaga match that you brought up. A lot of people brought up the Umaga match. The other match that people were brought up was the Daniel Bryan SummerSlam match. SummerSlam 12. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I should have brought that one up. Those are the two that came up the most uh, for people who were countering my point that this may have been the best John Cena match. And look, if you think one of those are about, look, I get it. I, I'm not going to sit here. It's not worth arguing about because those are all great matches. New Year's Resolution was the one I, I think I'm thinking of. It's either that one or Royal Rumble. I forgot which one. Man, which one was it? I, they, they fought each other back-to-back months, and I forgot which was the one that, that was like that all-time great. Man, I think it's, it might have been the Rumble. I think it might be the Rumble one, but, but I'll have to go back and And, and, and you got the but. two Punk matches. You got the Money in the Bank, and you got the Raw match. Remember the Raw match with Punk? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. That one was awesome. Where they busted out the pile driver against Company Wishes. Remember? And they got... They, 
in trouble, quote unquote, the most trouble those two guys are going to get in. You know what I mean? They, they weren't going to suspend those dudes, but they did a pile driver in that match, which which was crazy. Um, so you know, there's the two Punk matches, the Umaga match, the Daniel Bryan match, and there's so many more that we're probably forgetting. The first Kevin Owens match I'd put in that class. Um, look, Cena's had a million great matches against a bunch of different people. Um, it, it, so and 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 this was one of them. So um, you know, just an absolute, inc- just an incredible match with incredible drama. I thought too. That's the other thing about this match too. Another reason it was so great is, look, I mean, the whole world knew, you know, like intellectually, coming into the match, you know, Cena's winning. He's not losing three in a row to AJ Styles, you know, and every, and you know he's winning the time. But I forgot about. I got so wrapped up in the match, Rich, that I forgot about that. And I thought the match had incredible drama, and I was all wrapped up in that, and I was buying near falls on both sides, even for Styles. That is the mark of great work. Yeah. When, when they can make you forget something that intellectually is a given. This was one of those matches where the outcome was not in doubt. And halfway through the match, I, they, they, they convinced me otherwise. That's great stuff. And I think one thing that they did, and I don't know if it was it, – it was... They meant to do it quite, but it, but it worked where they didn't make a whole lot of mention that this was John Cena's potential, you know, record-breaking title win or whatever. I mean, they made mention of it months ago where they talked about it, but in the build-up to this, they kind of died it down a little bit. And in this match itself, it really wasn't a big factor at all. And I think that might have been intentional, maybe to get people to, while the match is going on, be like, well, geez, if this was going to be John Cena's 18th title win, like, they'd make a much bigger deal out of it. Because they really didn't make that huge of a deal of it in the build you know, direct the direct build to it. So I, I I don't know if that was intentional or there was a reason why or they didn't really want to, you know, shed light on Ric Flair or whatever it was. But I thought that's something that made me sort of say, okay, maybe Cena isn't going to win here because they weren't pushing it real hard. And I thought when he does eventually win his 18th title, they're going to go nuts with it. They're going to talk about it every second. It's going to be the biggest deal in the world. And confetti's going to come down and, and all sort of stuff. And you're going to know when it's going to be that time. And it was kind of surprising that it wasn't. So I, I part of me said, oh, maybe they're holding it off to WrestleMania. Maybe they want it to be a bigger moment. Uh, for Mania, possibly, but yeah, it, it was a little surprising for me too. And and like you said, more than that, just the work itself from both guys made me really wonder, uh, even until the last second, you know, who was going to win. And then that's yeah, the mark of a great match. Yeah, Okada Omega was Omega working towards hitting that one winged angel and working on Okada's back and neck the entire match. There was a clear story. Th- th- this match was just both of these guys uh, using their their big moves, especially Styles running through all the hit, the phenomenal forearm, the calf cutter, the Styles clash, you know, once or twice. Um, the 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 the, the Ushi busting out Hiroki Goto moves to try to put this guy away, and just nothing being good enough because John Cena was just you know the classic John Cena, too determined to lose. So to me, two very different kinds of matches. One was a spot fest. One was something completely different. Uh, but yeah, just, both great matches nonetheless. And I love, I just, I love this match. I just, I, th- this was a match I couldn't wait to watch a second time. And you know, I'm not a big rewatch guy. So, so we head into the Royal Rumble. And at this point, Rich, I'm thinking to myself, I've got two matches that I damn near threw five stars at. I thought the, uh, the Charlotte versus Bailey match was very good. I thought the Neville Swan match was good. If this Rumble had delivered, this was an all time show. This was right up there at Wrestle Kingdom in terms of one of the best shows of the year. This is an all-timer. This is the greatest Royal Rumble show of all time. Might have been anyway. Uh, You know, all of those things. I was ready to just throw roses at this thing for three hours today. The problem was the Rumble didn't quite deliver for me. I thought it was a mediocre Royal Rumble match. I didn't think it was a bad Royal Rumble match, but I (laughs) I thought it was a mediocre Royal Rumble match. Very boring for very long stretches. Uh, Not a ton of excitement. Not a ton of surprises, which, by the way, they've done that to themselves. If you're going to come out here for the last 10 years and hit people off at Rumble, Royal Rumble surprise entrance, you got to deliver them. Because when you get to that number 30 and people aren't satisfied 
with 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 the surprises that you've provided them, which in this match was like no one except for Dillinger. And and Dillinger was that really a surprise? Didn't we all know that he was either going to be number ten or they were going to play off of Dillinger and make it like right? Yeah, yeah. So, <laughs> it would have been one way or another. That ten was not going to be a worthless spot. That was going to be correct. either a random roster guy, and then that guy would have gotten tremendous heat, or it was going to be Dillinger. Right. Yeah, it was, was going to be like the Miz to get the ten heat, or it was going to be Dillinger. It was going to be one or the other. So really, there were no big surprises in this match. And if you, when you've set the standard that you give people, when you don't give people that, they're going to be upset. And I understand why people were upset. <laughs> right. Bottom line is this was to me yeah, when the when the baseline is Kenny Omega Samoa Joe or Shinsuke Nakamura is coming out that's it, yeah it's and not you don't good. give them yeah, any of and I mean you don't even I mean you don't give them anyone I mean I, you know so I mean I understand why people no nostalgia ones either they had been huge about the nostalgia ones over the sure. years you know your Diesels your Godfathers you know those sort of guys and 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 this wasn't a good enough Royal Rumble match it wasn't a compelling enough Royal Rumble match to make up for that even though they backloaded all of the major stars into the final into the final third. Not even the final third, like the final five numbers were all of the mega stars, and 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 they it still didn't work out to be a super compelling rumble. Not to not to me. I mean, you had Braun Strowman in the first third where they did the Diesel deal with him, and I'm kind of over that. I'll be honest. I understand why they do that. I totally get it. I understand that that makes guys look great, and they want to push Braun. Just for me personally. That one guy is this super destructive guy throwing guys out left and right. I, I'm over it. I've seen it. It's gotten times. tropey. I mean, they they just do it so often now that that it's hard. To, I mean, you just know what's coming every year, and now the problem is you also kind of know who it's going to be more times yes, than not. Yes, and I. the other problem is they've already established Braun as this unstoppable. Look, this would have worked better for Braun last year than it did this year. This year, I've seen Braun do this. I've seen him kill jobbers every week. I've seen him throw uh, Sami Zayn around. Look, I'm not saying it was – but, but it's like it didn't have the impact on me that I think it had on other people. I'm just tired of this spot. I, I'd rather have it with someone brand new, uh, you know, where this is their method of getting the guy. I think Braun's already over. I don't, I don't think this really did a ton for Braun. I'll be honest. Well, you, you lose you – lose, I think people have done that now where they've lost track of what that diesel thing was because he wasn't a big deal then in 1994 Royal Rumble. I mean he was still you know, you know the corner man for, for Shawn Michaels, and that was the moment where everybody woke up and went, oh, my God, this guy. So people forget that now. People just kind of – they latch onto a guy that's already established, and they, they do the quote-unquote diesel push with that guy. They did it with Kane. They did it with Roman Reigns a few years ago, and they did it with – but that's not what the quote-unquote diesel push is. The diesel push is supposed to be for somebody that, that's not an established guy. To break guy, him out. That, this guy already broke right. out. You know? Yeah, so it is kind of silly in that respect. So they've kind of gotten away from what the meaning of it was. But the idea that they have to do it every single year and you kind of know who it's going to be every single year, that, that hurts a lot. And it's and then the middle portion of the match was just dull as dirt. I mean, then just nothing happened for the middle third of the match. They, the, the ring yeah, up I, and um, – go ahead. I, I was going to say I have a little bit of a different perspective on the match, and I think it's not fair for me to judge it because when it was all said and done, I enjoyed it. But I do we, – we do the Royal Rumble game where we pick numbers and guys come out. So every entrance is like a big deal for me and all my buddies and like every every guy who comes out and every guy who gets eliminated is a big deal. So – you know, if I stripped that away, if I went back and rewatched this, I'd probably have a similar opinion to you. But when it was all over, I was like, wow, that was awesome because it was just fun to be with nine other people and scream every time, you know, a Baron Corbin comes out or a, a Seamus comes out. You know what I mean? Like that. So I have a completely different perspective on it. But I think that, you know, in a vacuum, if I rewatch this, if I go back tonight and just sit down and rewatch it, I'll probably have a similar opinion. But I'm not going to necessarily bash it as much because in my first watch of it, I was excited and I was happy because it's a whole different experience in that context of watching it while playing a game and betting on it and that sort of stuff. So. Look, I think the Rumble is always going to be a fun party match. From that perspective, you can't yeah, have a yeah. bad one from that perspective. And I don't think this was a bad match. 
I think if I were to rank out the Rumbles, which on our forum, by the way, there's a thread for every Royal Rumble ever, and people are rewatching them and, and talking about them. So that's a good little uh, plugaroo there for the forum, Rich, if people want to go talk about all the old yeah, Rumble so. matches. But um, if I were to plot them out, this would probably finish somewhere firmly in the middle, maybe slightly to the left on, on a slightly better than average Rumble, maybe. I'm not killing the match as being a terrible match. I just thought it was mediocre. I didn't think... And that's fair. I think that's totally And in the final third, look, I think the most... What were the... Think of it this way. What were the moments that we got out of this Rumble that you're going to remember for a long time? I don't know if there is any. Maybe Goldberg spearing and eliminating Brock again. Maybe Goldberg and Undertaker having a stare down. That's the two. That's probably the two. I, would I mean, say. those are the That's two. It. I mean, and, and that lead, leads back to the Braun thing. If you're going to do the de- the quote unquote diesel spot, it has to have more impact than Braun's did. I, I really don't think Braun's had a ton of imp- It just furthered the idea that this guy's a fucking monster, which is fine. Again, I don't think it was bad, but I that ate up the first third. I'm going to need more in the, the second and third uh, act of the match to, to make it. And th- those are probably the two moments I brought up are probably the two big moments. I mean, then you have Roman come out at 30, which I feel bad for the guy because it's like we talked about. Everyone's waiting for the big surprise. It never came, so everyone thinks it's coming at 30. And then that Roman Reigns music hits. And it's just – Rich, the guy has no chance. I mean, it's like – Yeah, I, I think it was designed partially. I, I, I think You think that... Vince is just trolling these fuckers every year with this guy in this rumble? Um, I think this year in particular, there was an idea of, of, let's stick it to him. I, I I don't know if stick it, I don't know what exactly, but they wanted to get the idea that Randy Orton was uh, a baby face winning. And the only way to really do that is to have him be directly against Roman Reigns. You know what I mean? Like they wanted that visual of, of people not booing or, or, or sitting on their hands when Randy Orton won, because that's a problem too. You got to remember that Randy Orton. Well, isn't that, well, well, isn't that indicative of poor booking then if you have to use. Yeah, but I, but I would say, what I would say is that I don't think you had to do that with Randy Orton this year, because I think he's hotter than he's been in quite some time. So I think you could probably just get by just having Orton be Orton right now. And and I think you, you could do it. So I don't know. They could have just did it with Jericho. He was in the final four anyway. And that would have gotten a reaction. And he was in the he was. In the- but he would have been he, he was in there so long because the problem with when you have a guy in there for so long is they then become a baby face for being in you're, there forever. You're, that, you're right. But with Jericho, the, with Jericho, though, I'm not sure because he hung out half the match outside the ring. And he true, was, true. He was, Bob Backlund did, too. And everybody loved him that one. Year. He was doing the he was doing the I'm going to hide outside act and then run in, eliminate somebody, smile like a goof and then go hide again. So you're, you're right, though. When guys last a long time, people do rally around them. So you could be right about that. But my thing is, if you have to book your top baby face to come into the match to get someone else over because you know your top baby face is going to get booed and they're going to cheer the other guy, what the fuck are we talking about? None of that makes sense. So it's like – but but it doesn't make sense. But what you're saying makes sense, which it shouldn't make sense. But it does make sense. That's it's so bizarre. It's so fucking <laughs> crazy. But it's like I felt bad for the guy because he had, had no choice but to get booed. So you might be right. Were they thinking in that in like that that deep of a way where they're thinking, okay, if we screw everybody out of their surprises, no matter who comes out at 30 is getting booed. Remember when Rey Mysterio came out at 30 a couple years ago and everybody booed him because it wasn't Daniel Bryan? So it's kind of like that theory. If Rey Mysterio is going to get booed, anybody will get booed. So – from that perspective, did it really have to be Roman? Couldn't it have been 
it's got to be somewhat of a star. It can't be a total dud. I don't know. I just think there could have been better ways of doing that instead of setting up poor Roman Reigns. And I think you're giving them too much benefit of the doubt. I don't think they're that smart. I think they thought Roman Reigns would be popular when he came out and it would come down the ramp. I, I, I'm, I'm not giving them credit. I don't give them credit. For <laughs> yeah, stuff. that's fair. Uh, it's fair. They don't really deserve the benefit of the doubt. So, but, but either way, it was a weird finish to the match. Um, you know, it's, it's like, and, and Orton won. He was the, the money line favorite and all that. I think Orton's a flat winner. I know you said you think he's hotter than he's ever been. Other people had that opinion. I disagree. I don't see Randy Orton being hot right now. I watch SmackDown every week. I think he's right where he's always been, honestly. I Maybe I'm off base on that. Maybe there's something I'm not seeing. Um, but I, I don't see this red-hot Randy Orton that everybody else sees. I, I, you know, if I'm wrong, I'm wrong. That's fine. Um, but, I mean, so I kind of think it was kind of a boring winner. I mean, Randy Orton, you know what I mean? With, with, with a Royal Rumble that was this stacked with talent and all these rumored – and Randy Orton's the guy who comes out of it. And in such a flat way, I mean – I, I don't know. I just thought it was a mediocre rumble. It didn't do much for me. I thought the undercard was tremendous. I thought the rumble match itself was, 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 was kind of dull and mediocre. And overall, I think it was a very good card, but man, with a great rumble, this would have been an all timer. Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. And I still think it is maybe an all timer. Oh, I think this for, might be if, the best yeah. Royal rumble show ever because, um, yeah, that's, that's cause a lot of the undercards of Royal Rumbles are not very good. Like people always remember the Royal Rumbles yeah. and all that sort of stuff, but you watch it going back and, and I did that. I was going back and rewatching a lot of these old rumbles. The undercards are usually trash because a, they don't feature a lot of top guys because they're maybe saving them for the rumble or it's people doing half-ass work because they're going to go back into the rumble. You know what I mean? So like you rarely get You're lucky to get spectacular undercard. Yeah, I mean, you get, you know, the one that, you know, one of the better Royal Rumble matches of all time is that Cactus Jack Triple H match, but the Rumble itself was terrible, Royal Rumble 2000. Right. Um, And there's a few others you can point out, but yeah, more times than not, you do not get spectacular undercards with the Royal Rumble. So, um, yeah, can't can't beat what you got here. Yeah, and I mean, there were some spots in this Rumble. Maybe the reason I'm not so high on the match is there were a lot of spots in this Rumble involving guys that I'm just not so crazy about. Like Baron Corbin dumping, (laughs) Baron Corbin dumping Braun Strowman. I don't care about Baron Corbin. I know a lot of people pop for that because they like Baron Corbin. I don't give a shit about Baron Corbin. Yeah, uh, yeah. Jack Gallagher, you, get, you know, getting in there. Uh, you know, his his spots were fun. But, he was way over in my household, I'll tell yeah, you. Yeah, but I mean, I'm not a big Jack Gallagher guy. You know what I mean? I see him as having I, – I see his ceiling as – Gallagher, Gallagher. Yeah, Jack Gallagher. I see his ceiling as like a comedy. I don't see him having a high ceiling, so I'm not, I don't really, you know, see what the fuss is about him either. He's just not my style of uh, – you know, I, I, I don't like that. We've been over it with, with Gallagher. I'm just not a big fan. Um, so maybe it was because, and like, like Mark Henry, like another guy, like that was one of the, I'm not a big Mark Henry guy. I've never been a big Mark Henry guy. That did nothing for me. I don't care about Mark Henry, you know, strutting down in the ring. Did he come down on the cart with the other big guys? I, I think he did have cart. Yeah. I think he did get carted as well. Jeez, could, <laughs> could the entrance have been further from the ring? I mean, geez, <laughs> I was wondering that too. Cause I think who was the first guy where I really noticed maybe it was Kalisto where you just see him like, he does like the Lucha Lucha and then he just like runs. And I'm like, and, and they, the camera stayed on him the whole time. And I'm like, Jesus Christ, how long is this entrance? Like, cause the camera's just like, it didn't like zoom in. It just like stayed long the entire time. And this guy's running and he's not getting any closer. And I'm like, Jesus Christ. Kalisto like, sprinted to the ring. <laughs> And it took like three minutes for him to get there. I was like, all right. All yeah, right. it was crazy. I was shocked he wasn't gassed when he got in there. He, he did he did all right, you know? Well, but, uh, yeah, gas comes other ways. Well, well, I mean, you know, you want to talk about a guy whose body changed immediately when he got into that company. <laughs> Do you remember him in Dragon Gate yeah. USA, how ripped he was? Oh, yes. Oh, my yeah. God, he was ripped. And then he shows up in WWE, and he's like kind of a chubby guy, you know? It's like his body changed. <laughs> 
his his is one of the most dramatic body changes that you'll that you'll ever see from from going into that company. But yeah, I mean, uh, yeah, to me it was Lesnar fucking destroying people, and then Goldberg tossing him out quickly again, which I didn't expect. I thought they'd take each other out, and then Goldberg going nose to nose with Undertaker. I think those are the two uh, key moments in the match. I thought it was okay. <laughs> Um, but you know, it's just a shame. I, I think this really would have been an all time great wrestling card period had the rumble delivered big. All right. You want to move on to, uh, one of the other events? Uh, yeah, I guess we should do, um, you want, I will do takeover then, right? Let's do it. Yeah. But before we do takeover, Rich, Oh, what? I want to tell you all about blue apron. Blue Apron's mission is to make incredible home cooking accessible to everyone. Blue Apron achieves this by supporting a more sustainable food system, setting the highest standards possible for ingredients, and building a community of home chefs. Let me tell you, Rich, I've been making these Blue Apron meals, and uh, you know, even the ones I don't expect to like, I had the fresh fettuccine with beet, goat cheese, and poppy seeds. Uh-oh, that's kind of a Chikara pasta, Chikara huh? pasta, but I'll be honest. You know, I made the fresh fettuccine with beet, goat, cheese, and poppy seeds explicitly to take the picture, to tweet it out, and I was planning on dumping it in the trash, but I got to tell you, <laughs> I took one bite, and it was delicious. I ended up eating the whole the whole thing that night. So, you know, these Blue Apron meals, I, I haven't had one that was bad yet. They're all delicious. Just a few of the great meals featured this month, Rich, that you can get. Cashew chicken stir-fry with tango mandarins and jasmine rice. Roasted pork with apple, walnut, and farro salad. How about this one, Rich? Crispy barramundi with kiona and roasted carrot salad. What was that again? Kiona? Quinoa, Joe. You don't go to Whole Foods very often, do you? I, I, the, you know, the Whole Foods in my town. <laughs> listen, listen, this is funny. The Whole Foods in my town was replaced with an Aldi's. You want to wow, about, yeah. You want to talk about a change in class? <laughs> can you can you go from? I mean, I mean, geez, that's like I, that's like going from like uh, that's like a Nordstrom converting into a Walgreens or something. I mean, you can't really uh, go lower than that. We've also got the Uda. Dollar Tree, yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> Nordstrom, yeah, Dollar yeah, Nordstrom. The Dollar I do like Aldi. I do like Aldi a lot, though. I won't lie. But I mean, geez, there's a different. Yeah, well, is it because the, the people didn't like the Whole Foods in, in College Station? Because there wasn't, was, like, raw, you know, it was, like, it wasn't cow. Like, no, yeah, here's the wasn't... problem. It wasn't in College Station. It was in Bryan. That means nothing to you, but anyone listening who lives in Texas is immediately going, ah, I know why a Whole Foods didn't work out in Bryan. But anyway, okay. I digress. <laughs> yeah, of course. But the Aldi's is going to be a big hit. <laughs> I can promise you that. <laughs> um, udon noodle soup with miso and soft-boiled eggs. Uh, check out this week's menu and get your first three meals absolutely free with free shipping by going to blueapron.com slash VOW. I'm probably getting mine pretty soon, so expect pictures from, from my household. As well. I, I know you're not going to plate them as well as I did. I'm a professional, Rich. but Yeah, that's going to be tough. I, I did show the nurse a few of these plates, and I said, this is, these are the standards that we have to live up to, and I, I don't think yeah, I don't think we're going to be able to. You had the garnishes out there perfect and stuff. Yeah, you're, you're a pro. I don't know that we're going to be able to do that. But You will love how good it feels and tastes to create incredible home-cooked meals with Blue Apron, so don't wait. That's blueapron.com slash V-O-W. Blue Apron, a better way to cook. NXT TakeOver San Antonio the day before the Royal Rumble. Uh, I got to tell you, this is a weird show for me, Rich. I don't know your take on this show yet. I haven't seen you say anything publicly about it. This was a weird show for me because I liked pretty much every match on this show to some extent or another. I thought two of the matches were in the four-star range, yet I still came away from this show feeling 
unfulfilled and slightly disappointed and thinking that it was one of the lesser takeovers of all time. That's I, I hate to disagree or I hate to agree rather, but that's pretty much how I, I, I watched it. I sat down. I watched it uh, Monday. So it was way after, you know, most of the stuff because I, I wasn't around on Saturday uh, to watch it live. So I wanted to wait, wait till Monday once the, you know, Royal Rumble stuff had died down or whatever. So I sat down and I watched it. And, and when it was all said and done, I went, I enjoyed that. And I turned it off and it has never returned to my brain for a second. And that's that's kind of the takeaway that I had from from this takeover was good show. Fine show. Not a waste of two hours. A good use of your two hours. But You'll never think of it again. Nothing is really going to latch onto your brain. You're never going to go, oh, my God, remember on TakeOver San Antonio when this happened. It was a solid show from top to bottom, but largely forgettable. When it was all said and done, you know, I, I, I came away saying, yeah, Rude Nakamura was, was fine. It was okay. You know, it, it told a really good story, but not a, a spectacular match, not an all-time great match, not a match that I'm going to go back and ever re- rewatch. Uh, Authors of Pain DIY I thought was really good solid for, for what the authors of pain are able to do. And I thought it told a good story, but again, I I'll never watch that match again. And, and, and the other two matches on the, on the main card, you know, young and, and Dillinger and, and, and strong Almas, both solid. But again, when it was done and when those matches, when the individual matches were done, I kind of said, okay, good. That was done. And it escaped my brain and my brain did not retain a thing from it because there was just no need. I think that was the, the problem with the show. And it was even with the build of it is I wasn't really invested in the stories as much as, as others maybe were. And, and I don't know that NXT did a great job of getting people invested in these stories. So when they were, you know, it, as individual matches, they were fine, but there was nothing you really took away and they weren't spectacular matches. So it wasn't like you could say, Hey, the story, I didn't, I didn't really care about the story, but Oh my God, we're an all time great match. It was, yeah, story was okay. And the match was okay. Okay. And I'm done. And that's, that's my large takeaway from takeover. Unfortunately, there's a standard set by these takeovers where you have to have a great match. And there was no great match on this show. There were two matches that I thought came close, but where's the match of the year contender here? There's not a match. Yeah. There's not a match on this show that's going to get a single vote in our poll. And I, with Takeover, you can't have that because the bar has been raised. People expect a great match. We didn't get one. I don't think we had bad. Ma- Listen, we talk about this all the time. There are some early Takeovers that people forget about a lot of the trash that was on some of those early takeovers because you only remember Sami Zayn versus Cesaro or, you know, whatever other great match, And you don't remember that Enzo Amore was in a hair versus hair match against the geek that went to TNA, Marcus Louis or whatever. And, you know, he's running around with, with hair cream on his head. Remember that nonsense? I mean, there were, I do. there were yeah. a lot of, <laughs> there were a lot of matches on those early takeovers like that. This show didn't have anything that was bad, but you still have to have some stuff that stands out. And I do think that there, were a, there was a match or two here that would qualify as disappointing. Eric Young over Ty Dillinger. Uh, as we go over NXT TakeOver Bound for Glory here, Eric Young picks up a big win in the opener. <laughs> You're not wrong. It was. So over. <laughs> it felt like a, a really good, like a, a solid TNA pay-per-view, which is like, and that's how most TNA pay-per-views are, is you watch and you go, oh, that wasn't horrible, and then you'll never remember it again. And then nothing ever retains a second of it, because you're just like, all right, whatever. Like, Yeah, so I mean, well, let's count. We had Eric, let's, let's look at the former TNA talent. You had Eric Young, you had Roderick Strong, you had Bobby Roode. Uh, and it says three guys right there who are TNA alumni, two of which are like super alum. I mean, TNA is almost associated with Bobby Roode and Eric Young. I mean, those guys were there for, for a million fucking years. But we had Eric Young over Ty Dillinger in the opener. Look, this was a match, Rich. Uh, there wasn't – this was what you think Eric Young and Ty Dillinger are going to give you in an opener. They're both good workers. Uh, Dillinger is probably a very good worker. I think there's a better match – in you know with these two guys somewhere but this wasn't it 
this was just yeah that. i don't know i think it was about what you're gonna get from those i i, I like dillinger but young's just kind of so you're not a young i'm kind of blind young young. right now nah he's fine but it's like it's tna fine where it's like you know what i mean where like you're like oh yeah it was okay like that that's the vibe i get from young almost all the time yeah. is is I, I just they're not I don't know. The standards are too high of a takeover right now, and and maybe I should adjust them a little bit. But yeah, it, it just felt like a standard Eric Young match, which is is good. But but yeah, leaves you a little bit empty when it's all done. And Dillinger loses again, continuing that. So um, he never wins. Uh, they're going to go somewhere with this. I can't see him joining this group at any point. I don't know the taping spoilers, so I don't know where they've gone with Dillinger at the tapings. But um, hopefully, the, the fact that he never wins a match is going to lead to something. I do think it's funny though. That he did a little WWE.com deal about, uh, you know, being number 10 or whatever. I saw something with Dillinger and, uh, you know, he was saying he was uh, uh, finally getting. Oh, I know what it was. Dillinger's go home promo for this show. He was giving a promo on NXT saying how, you know, and I'm paraphrasing, of course. He was saying, you know, I just can't, I feel like I can't get it done here in NXT. Maybe I should be number 10 in the Royal Rumble and just move on. Which is like completely backwards psychology. You're telling the audience, <laughs> right. I'm not good enough for developmental, so I'm going to go to Raw where, you know, the competition's less stiff. I mean, it's just so backwards. I mean, it, but, but that's – it's the weird thing with NXT. You kind of lose on the way out and then get promoted. It's very strange. But it was, it was weird to hear a wrestler flat out say something like that. But, yeah, to me it was just a match. Then we had Roderick Strong over uh, uh, Cien, La Sombra, Andre, Almas, Karras, whatever the hell his name is. What is his official name at this point? Andrea Almas. It's Andrade Cien Almas. But it, the, yeah, but they say Cien sometimes, they too. They do. So I don't right? know. The Cien is in there. Sometimes it's before the Andre. Sometimes it's in between. <laughs> How about we just call this fella La Sombra? How do you feel Let's about that? Let's do that from here on out. Yeah. So Roderick Strong defeats La, the former La Sombra, the artist formerly known as La Sombra. I thought these guys worked their asses off. I thought so too. Yeah, I was I was coming away because I didn't see a lot of people talk about this match, but I I love this match. It was probably my favorite match of the entire night. They busted their ass, and I thought Strong looked awesome. Here. He did, and I thought this was the best artist formerly known as La Sombra match in in WWE yet. His most comfortable for sure, because I think they finally let him take the training wheels off and just kind of do what he is best at doing. Yeah, I, I, I also think he's not a fucking baby face. And I think that's oh, helped. No, everybody, I, everybody in the world knew that. I mean, so I mean, there's, you know, I, I, I thought this was his best performance yet. His look is getting a little less cringier every time out. You know what I mean? The sparkly suspenders seem to be gone and all that. Just let this guy go out there and be a dick. The feathers gone. His hat's just a normal. Yeah, hat and just let him be wear something comfortable and be a fucking dick and 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 you know be what he was when he was on his way out of CMLL and I think he'll be fine. He's showing some signs here. I thought these guys worked their asses off. This would uh you know would have been an excellent compliment to a better card I think. So um I did enjoy it. Strong got the win. Uh we'll see what they do with him moving forward. And then we had the Authors of Pain, new tag team champions. They defeat DIY. Before we talk about the match, do you think Gargano and and Tommaso Ciampa which I misspell on the first try every time when I write down <laughs> that man's name. I, I've gotten it finally, but I still can't get Intercontinental. I get the Intercontinental wrong every single time. I've been writing about wrestling for probably 10 years now. I, I can't do Intercontinental. Mine is still, is still Tommaso Ciampa. <laughs> I either add two S's instead of two M's, or I do two M's <laughs> and two S's, or I spell Ciampa wrong. And my other one, the other word I could never spell right on the first try is occurred. Like, that one's tough because you two R's, two, two C's, C's, two, two R's. Yeah, yeah, I got I, you. I, yeah. It's two C's and two R's, I think. 
<laughs> for whatever reason. I don't even know. I always single up one of them, and, me, uh, and then the red squiggly line comes, and I want to put my fucking fist through the wall because I'm like, I got it wrong again. I never get that word right. So uh, Authors of Pain, Defeat DIY, Rich, did they lose the titles too soon? Yes or no? Um, ye- Yes, I guess, but I liked, I liked the story of this match, though. So I'm kind of conflicted there. In a vacuum, I would say, yeah, they did lose a little too much, but I like the idea of the Authors of Pain sort of destroying them and, and working a very, you know, stiff style here and, and and coming away with the win. So, yeah, I... Hmm. After that I, long yes. struggle to get past the revival... That's the only thing that I have, is if they, we didn't have that, like I said, that's why I said in a vacuum, if you... Oh man, I'm, I'm conflicted because I really enjoyed this match and I enjoyed the Authors of Pain and I liked them winning the titles... But yeah, it seems like after like six, seven months of them trying to win the titles, to lose after the first month seems a little deflating. So not the first month, but you know, within their first you know big major title defense. So um, yes and no, I don't know. It's a kind of a cop out. I, I I don't know, like because I like the match and I love the story, but yeah, I don't like them losing so far or so early. So I, I don't know. I'm a little conflicted there. As far as Johnny Gargano goes, th- look, this match was exactly what we said it needed to be. Johnny Gargano selling his ass off for the duration of the match. Both of these guys flying around and making the, 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 the green opponents look as, as good as they possibly could. And I think it was mission accomplished. I really like this match. A lot of people think this was the match of the night. Um, I'm on the fence, whether it was this or, or the main event. Um, but I, I, I do want to say something about Johnny Gargano. I think I am comfortable saying at this point, he is one of the better tag team workers that I have personally ever seen. I put him right up there with Ricky Morton. I put him right up there with Tommy Rogers. I put him right up there with Shawn Michaels in terms of guys who are just awesome tag team wrestlers. This guy is just upper level when it comes to that style of tag worker who sells his ass off, works as the baby face in peril, but can also do the other thing too and take a hot tag and fly around and hit guys with flying knees and all of those things. Johnny Gargano is a top level tag team wrestler ever. In my opinion, yeah, that's that's lofty. I'm I'm trying to think of yeah. You're you're not wrong. I mean, I think he's, he's similar he's, to those three guys I named. I yeah, mean, I, I think yeah. I mean, it, it it it's lofty, but you're not right. Like he's gotten to that point now, and and this run is just adding to it. And, and we've been saying it for years of how great he he's been. You know, in singles it's matches, not just but against yeah. the revival where they work that style and it's easy to look good. And I, no, this was, I mean, they made the office of pain look like a million bucks yeah. here. Like I came away going like, man, those guys are great. And like, they're not good. <laughs> they're, I mean, they're still terrible, but it, they, they, when you, when Gar- Gargano's the guy that you're working with and you know, he's running the entire show in that ring while they're doing it too. Um, yeah. I mean, they, they looked spectacular. So yeah, I, I think you're, you're right on the money there, but it, it's lofty and you're going to get some people with some pushback, but um, he's getting to that point though. He absolutely is. Are there, and is there anybody in the world right now? who works harder on a match-in, match-out basis than Johnny Gargano. I mean, how hard does this guy work in all of these matches? Whether it's an NXT television match, a big match like this on a takeover, any of his matches in Evolve last year, Johnny Gargano works, works as hard as anybody in the business between those bells. And Rich, it's every match. When does this guy take a match off? You don't see it. I really don't think this. Look, I know every. You don't see it when you go to individual. I mean, you go to indie shows that he was on when he, yeah, you know, in his I mean. last little indie run. I mean, like anytime you see Gargano, you pretty much are guaranteed to have a, a really, really solid match and effort. You, you said you're a big effort That's guy. He is always about. a guy That's that anytime I mean. you you pay money to watch him wrestle, he's going to give you effort. No, never. I've never seen him dog it ever, ever once. Nobody on a match in match out basis works as hard as this guy. I I, I really don't think, and it's like. If there's any knock on him, 
if there's any knock on him at all, it's that a lot of his indie matches were too excessive. Like, if anything, he works too hard. You, you never come away from a Johnny Gar- whether it's the opener, whether it's on TV and it's six minutes long. The guy just always works his ass. I have so much respect for this guy. I think he's one of the best in the world at, 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 you know, with his ability to work tags, with his, as hard as he works, with the effort he puts in. And that's all I could think about when I was watching this match. They did that great spot at the end where they both went for the flying knees and the two big guys caught them, smacked their backs together, gave them the power bombs. They threw Gargano out of there. They, they hit their finisher on Ciampa, and they won the titles. One thing that was funny to me was Tom Phillips on commentary after the, after the match was over uh, said something to the effect of, and the great Paul Elring adds another set of belts <laughs> to his impressive list of champions. That, and I'm thinking to myself, this guy managed the Road Warriors, and that's it. Where is right. he's not Captain Lou Albano? Man. What about DOA? Remember when he had DOA in the uh, 1998? I mean, to, to championship, you're goal, forgetting. Yeah, he's got one fucking team on his resume. <laughs> They're acting like he's Lou Albano, manager of champions. What Albano managed like 19 champions or so, whatever it was. Uh, yeah, it's like he's Paul Elring. He had one fucking team that won titles. This is his, yeah, his extensive resume that Tom Phillips is going on. This is his second team that won titles. <laughs> I'm trying to – I do not believe the Disciples of Apocalypse won the uh, titles in 1998, but I'm, I'm trying to find out for they sure. They did but, not, uh, and I don't even remember that, but they, I can tell you that – It was – don't remember it. It was really bad, yeah. What, did he go heel on the fucking road war? Yeah, exactly, yeah. That's that's when, like – and that's what drove Hawk to be a drunk or what. It was bad, yeah. Don't, well, listen. Don't, don't go if back. If you have that. a chance to manage chains and eight ball <laughs> – You got to do you it. You got to do it. I mean, how can you turn down that opportunity? You know what I mean? No, it was Skull and Eightball at a that skull, point, right? it wasn't, Yeah, I think Chains was, was off the uh, was, Disciples of Apocalypse. Chains was, Chains was crushed? No, Chains was Brian. No, Crush was crushed. <laughs> right, right, right. This, this was like this Aryan fucking stable, right? Like, they'd work real well now in the political climate, right? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that, would, that would get Baby, some... baby faces was, uh, in some regions, but yeah. <laughs> right, that'd get a lot of heat, you know? But, but yeah, it was, it was Skull and Eightball. Chains was Brian Lee, correct? Yes, correct. Okay, yeah. all right, yes. Fake under there. Under Faker. Under Faker, yes. Who was excellent. Let's tell you, Brian Lee was very good in ECW. In 19, I liked Brian Lee, 1996. Yeah, because he's a monster there because, you know, you're six foot four and you're the tallest guy in that company. But, As like, Ra- you know, he was like Raven's Enforcer. He was good. Right, yeah. That's what 9-11, you know, he was, you know, not that big. But, like, there he was just a monster. So, I guess well, 9-11 was pretty big, right? 9-11 by ECW standards? Yeah, it was like 6'5", six, 6'6". Yeah, all right, so Brian Lee was probably what six four, six five, somewhere in that range, maybe six six. So yeah, I mean, you know, he was eye to eye with Undertaker in that match, right? He might have been actually a little taller than that. I, I don't know, but uh, but yeah, I, I was at that scaffold match, Rich, where he, you know, that famous scene where he oh yeah, you were punches okay, Tommy nice. Dreamer through like nineteen tables off of a scaffold, which I was in every every promo clip for ECW. I, I know it well. Yeah, so you know. But uh, what were we talking about? Oh, Authors of Pain and Paul Elring, who I still think is the worst manager. Like, I, I Paul Elring was never, like... <laughs> Just fold his arms. <laughs> it looks menacing, but never, like, influences anything. What or, does or... he bring to the table now, ex- aside from his name? I mean, honestly, what does he bring to the table? He brings nothing to the table, aside from his name. Which, I mean, all right, so you're giving these Authors of Pain the Paul Elring stamp. It's not even like it's a great name. You know what I mean? Like, I don't know. It's not like he's Bobby Heenan coming out there. Jim Cornette. He's fucking Paul Elring. I don't know. I just, the whole thing's so baffling to me. We had Asuka in a four-way defending her title against Nikki Cross, Billy Kay, and Peyton Royce. 
we kind of figured uh, Asuka would retain here. Rich, I thought this match was very disappointing. Not from the perspective. Of, yeah, I didn't like it at look, all. Look, I didn't think it was going to be great. You know, I was skeptical. We were skeptical last week that they can pull off a, a four-way with, you know, some people who don't have experience in this type of match and everything else. Um, I, I, I enjoyed the build, and I enjoyed the finish, and I enjoyed the spot where the Australian girls put Nikki Cross through the table. Aside from that, I thought this was disjointed. I thought none of them were on the same page a lot of the time. It had a lot of the problems that a four-way can potentially have if people are from three different countries, speak two different languages, and none of them are on the same. I mean, this is what happens when you have a four-way. Right. People can criticize all they want for, for Banks and Charlotte and Becky and, and Bailey and all those for re, you know going over their matches beforehand and all that sort of stuff. Well, this is what happens when you don't go over a match beforehand. Oh, and here's the thing. They practiced it all week at house shows. So, oh, geez. Well, that's not good. Yeah, and, and, <laughs> that's even worse. And I don't know if you saw, saw the house show reports, but they were bad. Like, pe- Okay. All right. Well, I didn't know they practiced it that much. but uh, Which yeah, actually well. continues to speak to your point, though, because they did practice this match, and it was still not good. Because that, that four-way was awesome, that one yeah. with, with Becky. So that that's doing it the best you can, and this was doing it the worst you can. It seemed like it was just people taking turns in this one. That's the worst thing you can do in a multi-person that's match. That's your pet peeve, Rich. That's... Yeah, and it was absolutely that. It was Nikki Cross and Billy Kay doing this at this point. And then, you know, or, or, or Billy Kay and, and Peyton Royce doing this at this point. And then Nikki Cross would do something. And then Asuka would do something. It, it, of all the Asuka matches, it was the least um, one where she stood out. She was... Almost nothing in this. I mean, she she was there, but it seemed like she was just a a, a cog in the wheel, and that's that's it's not what she is. That's not absolutely not. She should stand out, you know, leaps and bounds above everybody, and she didn't here. Yeah. So the Australian girls put Nikki Cross through the table. That took her out of the match, and then uh, back in the ring, they figured they had a two on one situation against Asuka. Uh, she, I think, um, gave them both either kicks to the head or German suplexes or something, and then took um, uh, K out, and then kicked Royce in the head and pinned her to retain the title. The other big flaw here was the psychology was a bit off. And some people are going to think this is nitpicky, but it did bother me throughout the whole match. Kay and Royce kept talking about how they didn't care who, who won the match because they were a team and they lived together and uh, all for one and one for all. And one of us is going to come away with the title. It doesn't matter who, well then why didn't you just lay down and pin one another? You know, it's that bothered me. I, I, I know in wrestling, you, you have to overlook logic sometimes, and you have to suspend disbelief. But when you make that the primary focus of their promo before the show, that they genuinely don't care who wins, I, I would have been satisfied if at some point one of them attempted to get the cheap pin on the other and like maybe you know, cross-breaks it up or something. They didn't even try that, though, which to me just I, – I, I couldn't stop thinking about that during the match. Am I being nitpicky here or is that uh, – A little nitpicky, but you're, you're not totally wrong because there were certain points where they would go for a pinfall. And, like, I, I think more times than not it was, like, Peyton was pinning and then Billy would just sort of, like, help Peyton, you know, get the leverage on the pin or whatever and, you know, kind of sit on her or do something like that. To, to try. So, like, if you've established that they don't care and that, you know, if Peyton gets a pinfall, whatever, Billy's going to help her, then it makes no sense that at some point they wouldn't just, you know, flip a coin and go, okay, well, Billy, you win. And then, like – just outside the, you know, get back in the ring when they're, you know, messing around on the outside and just pinning. I'm with you on that. Have, I, I that's know what that I mean. Would it would have killed them to do a spot where the other two girls are cleared from the ring and then they kind of like look around and sell the idea that oh, we can get a cheap win here, and then Asuka runs in before the, you know what I mean, and breaks and and, and throws one of them off at, at two. Yeah, I, I think you had to establish that at some point during the match. I think that would have been important, and they they didn't do that. They kind of established. You know, because there were points where they were like, you know, zoning in on one piece because they always talked about oh, two on one advantage, two on one advantage. Well, you know, they didn't really use it. And, and and people will say that, oh, they didn't care who won. But I think that's more reason 
for them to have a spot where they do rock, paper, scissors, and then, you know, Billy lays down and, and Peyton pins her and then something like that. So, yeah, I, I think that was a missed opportunity for sure. Or, so it's, or their heels. Maybe maybe they have the opportunity to do that, but then they both show that they're too selfish to allow the other to win. You can even use right, that. which that's the old that's a little tropey, though, so I'm glad they didn't do that because they do that a lot. Like in multi-person matches, they'll have that little thing where the one, you know, it's a, you know, a tornado tag or something like that. And then one person will, will, will throw the one person off the other. You know, they do that. You know where that worked? That. that worked in the G1 when the Bullet Club faced each other. Yeah, exactly. You know, something like that, too. So I don't know. I did, it bothered me when I was watching it. But look, to me, it was a disappointing match. We're moving on. We're building the Asuka versus uh, Ember Moon like we thought we would on this week's NXT. Ember Moon basically said she's coming for the title. Uh, Asuka was interviewed about Ember Moon, and she said, who is she? Does she work here? So, I, I, again, Asuka knocks it out of the park with an awesome promo. Uh, no selling the fact that Ember Moon even exists, which I thought was a lot of fun. Uh, Bobby Roode is your new NXT champion. So, Shinsuke Nakamura loses. Uh, the match went nearly a half hour. Uh, probably the first 20 minutes or so were just agonizingly nothing happening. Um, I thought the closing stretch was pretty awesome. Save the match. I, I, I was fully prepared to bury the match. I can't bury the match because the closing stretch was so well done. Everything from when Nakamura hit the uh, Bumaye, Kinsasha, whatever the hell you call it, the one that he hit on the apron that knocked Root out and also injured Nakamura's knee. Uh, everything from that point forward I thought was excellent in this match. Bobby Roode playing possum. Uh, Bobby Roode. Uh, the only thing I didn't like. Here's one thing I didn't like about the closing stretch. I'd like your take on this. The spot where the doctor stopped the match to check on Nakamura's knee. I think you can get over the idea. Look, these are good. These guys are seasoned professionals. Let them get the idea over that the man's knee is injured. I don't need it hammered down my throat by stopping the match and having doctors look at it. I'm not an imbecile. Yeah, I, I didn't like that either. I, I thought and Nakamura was doing a really good job of selling that. He was doing too. a He was writhing in job, pain, and the crowd job. was kind of like gasping, and it was like a good – it was a good silence too. The crowd was like, oh, shit, this guy looks like he's really hurt or whatever. And I think you can get across the idea of like the doctor comes down and the ref talks to the doctor or whatever. I, I think you could do that, but I think having the doctor literally get in the ring and, and stop the match – so look at Nakamura. That kind of hurts a little bit for me. I, I, I think I, I don't like that necessarily because I think then you, you that that idea then is if the if it's so bad that the doctor has to come in and check on him, then you got to end the match right there. You know what I mean? Like then that match is over. It's it, it's but you can't have the idea that the doctor looks at him and 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 you know says, oh my god, I can't believe he's going on. How how's he going? I, like that I don't really like necessarily. I just think it's I, unnecessary. I, yeah. Let the workers get it over. That's yeah, I agree. Job. You don't need, you don't need that. I mean, you get the doctor come down and and like sort of get in the ring and Nakamura can kind of wave him off or whatever yeah, yeah. and say no 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 I'm good. Like that that's what you can do it without necessarily having the doctor get in and stop the match and stop the momentum but they it, it, it was one step short of the, the stretcher job and we know you know oh, that trope so like but uh yeah I, I like this match i liked it a little bit more than some people did um i rue just never really does much for me and i thought most of this match did nothing for me except for the final stretch where I, I got into it a little bit and i thought rude had a nice little fire to him which you never see with bobby Roode. it's like jesus christ man like make it seem like you care make it seem like you're really trying and like more times than not he doesn't project that at all but he did towards the end of this match so i did enjoy that aspect of it and i thought nakamura sold, sold his ass off in the closing stretch and, and i thought it told a really good story and i thought there was really good subtleties in it but 
I, I, I'm not really looking forward to the Bobby Roode NXT title run. I, I, Bobby Roode just does nothing for me ever. So that 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 takes away a little bit. I, I'm probably biased, but I, I just don't really like the guy at all. Bo- Bobby Roode so. is competent. Yep. This was yet another competent Bobby Roode match. He's so. competent. And yep. Nakamura, I thought, was really good down the stretch here. And uh, yeah, we got Randy Orton on SportsCenter here. How about that? We got XFL on ESPN and Randy Orton on SportsCenter. Taking over, baby. Getting interviewed by the coach with his uh, – RKO sleeveless hoodie. Oh, I'm sure this is a hard-hitting interview. They're going to ask uh, about the uh, the legit, you know, getting legit busted open at Survivor Series and his concussion, I'm sure. I don't know. I got... and, and the dangers of, of, <laughs> of premeditated concussions and CTE in the WWE, I'm sure. Yeah, I'm sure Coach is going to broach those topics, <laughs> I'm, I'm soon, positive yeah. that's coming. Any moment now. Yeah. Now we're getting Royal Rumble highlights here. Uh, and a graphic that says he's a two-time winner. Can you imagine? Like, ESPN right now is all WWE right now. Like, in this moment right now, this snapshot. This second the, of time. This second, it is Randy Orton on e, what, ESPN2? Uh, or where does SportsCenter go? Okay, so ESPN News ha- has has Randy Orton on, and ESPN Proper has an XFL documentary right now. Yeah. Incredible. WWE TakeOver <laughs> here. So, uh, so, yeah, that was NXT San Antonio. Um, not a great show. They were running Freeman Coliseum. They weren't even running AT&T. They still had trouble selling the place out. I don't think they did sell the place out. Um, so that wasn't good. But no, that's, uh, that's your new future with Bobby Roode as your, your draw. Just, I mean, It just uh, wasn't a big-time show. I'll tell you what's big-time, though, Rich. Dollar Shave Club is big-time. It's no secret that we love Dollar Shave Club razors. I always get a close, smooth shave, and you can't beat the convenience or the price. I used to choose between settling for a cheap bag of disposables or paying out the nose for a razor with a laser pointer and 17 blades. Just awful stuff. Then Dollar Shave Club broke onto the scene with a smarter choice. Before Dollar Shave Club, there was no middle ground. It was either save money and get a painful shave. You know, you're shaving the skin off your face, you know, with a disposable, like the ones they give away free at your gym. And it feels like shaving with a piece of glass, but no more. Dollar Shave Club gives you the best of both worlds. You get the premium shave quality at the disposable shave price. If you haven't tried Dollar Shave Club yet, you are missing out. It's an amazing shave at an affordable price. There's no smarter choice on the market. And right now, Rich, they're giving away a one-month trial of any of their razors, even the executive, which is the one I use, for $1 with free shipping. After that, it's just a few bucks a month. There's no long-term commitment. There's no hidden fees. You cancel it whenever you want. You get your $1 trial at dollarshaveclub.com slash voices. That's dollarshaveclub.com slash voices. Evolve ran this weekend, Rich. As we discussed, I was at one of the shows live. You are a practitioner of the Flow Slam gimmick. So you saw both of the shows. Uh, why don't you run us quickly through? I did not see what were the numbers on these seventy six and uh, seventy six and seventy seven. Yeah, you you attended seventy seven. That's probably the bigger show of the weekend. But yeah, it's, it started off Friday with uh, seventy eight, and <clears throat> I didn't watch live, 76. but I watched seventy six. Sorry, I, I'm mixing these up already. Uh, I did not watch the uh, seventy six live. I watched it the day after uh, before I watched seventy seven. But uh, the real takeaways from seventy six, not a ton really to, to to talk about. I think the big match, obviously, Matt Riddle, uh, ACH was was awesome. Uh, I'd probably put it at about four stars. Uh, that's one that I definitely think if, if if you have Flow Slam, if if you're thinking about getting Flow Slam, that's one to definitely cherry pick out of seventy six because there wasn't a whole lot else that was really great on the show. Um, two matches were really ruined by the ring falling apart, like literally falling apart. 
Uh, Jaka and Peter Casa was the opener, and Peter Casa went to do a move, and, and the ring fell apart, and he just landed on his head. They immediately went to the finish, which was kind of scary for a moment. Uh, Peter Casa looked okay, but he definitely looked a little dazed, too, and, and he was off 77 of all 77, so uh, that kind of spoke to, to what <laughs> the, the dangers of that. And uh, to make matters worse, then the ring was, was pretty good after that, so you're kind of like, all right, good, we're ready to go. Uh, Chris Hero Keith Lee was your main event, and that's a match that I was really looking forward to, a good moment for uh, Keith Lee to get a big spot here, uh, a big-time match, Chris Hero's second-to-last match in Evolve, and the fucking ring, Joe. Chris Hero go- bounces against the ropes. The third rope falls apart. He thankfully catches himself because he's a pro. Um, gets back in the ring. You can tell he, he's visibly frustrated because this guy has dealt with this numerous times this year alone. It's not his weight necessarily. I mean, people will immediately go, oh, well, don't be fat or whatever. Well, then the rings suck. I mean, the guy, he, he couldn't be more ready to go to WWE after these rings falling apart, I'm sure. I'm like, this is just annoying. I'm, I'm done with this. But uh, so there's that. And then later in the match, Keith Lee uh, got up to the second rope because then they were kind of playing it off where that, that the third rope had broke. So they were using the second rope as the top rope. Well, he gets up on the second rope. He's going to do a move. Well, then that collapses, and he falls on his ass. And it's just like, oh, okay. And then, then the match is kind of sloppy from that point on. You can tell the guys were, were noticeably frustrated. Uh, and Chris Hero ends up getting the win, with, which was kind of a surprise to me. I thought Keith Lee would get the win. But uh, this match was one that I really looked forward to and just completely ruined by the ring literally falling apart. So uh, not a big fan of Evolve 76. But I did enjoy 77, and you were live there, so maybe you can give a little of your thoughts on that. I thought Evolve 77 was an excellent show. And I think unfortunately it's being overshadowed because the Royal Rumble show was so awesome. So, I mean, I think it was better than the takeover show. And from what you're telling me, it sounds like it was better than evolve 76. Oh yeah. Having watched both, you know, back to back. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, evolve 77 was, I thought everything on the show was different. And that was a big thing about it too. Every match was kind of a different style and nothing felt samey on the show. Which, if there was one criticism of Evolve when it was real hot there for a while, when they had all the grapple fuck guys, is all the matches were sort of similar. They were all awesome, but they were all very similar. This was a show where, remember, we talked about the diversity of the roster last week and how they've brought in a bunch of new names into the mix who do different things, whether it's your Keith Lees or your Sammy Guevara's or your ACH's or your uh, uh, Jason Kincaid's. They bring different styles to the table, and I really think that was exemplified on this show because every match was very different. Uh, you look at the opener, what started as a singles match, evolved into a handicap match, and then evolved into a six-man tag with uh, Darby Allen, Barrett Brown, and Zack Sabre Jr. Uh, beating Ethan Page and the Gatekeepers. I mean, that was just the perfect opener. You had you know, the one Gatekeeper, they don't have names yet, the black guy who did the senton flip dive over the top. And he did it so well that he overshot the target. <laughs> and landed on his feet. And I mean, he's a huge dude. I mean, that was very impressive. And then, of course, the big spot, you had Darby Allen, the an absolute maniac. I mean, this man, you know, name whoever you want to name, Sabu. Throughout history, these guys who just have no regards for their well-being, he climbs up this support pole in the building, he just like, like I don't know, like a, like a chimpanzee. He just scaled up the thing. There's no notches to put your feet. I mean, I don't know what, how the guy did it. And then he just did his, uh, I, I guess, what does he call it? The trust fall or the stage dive or whatever it is, that backwards yeah, dive that he does. I don't usually, I'm not usually the like take care of your body man, but dude, Darryl's going to die. <laughs> dude, you got it. This was some spot. I mean, now look, there were a million guys underneath there to catch him, but I mean, it, it wasn't impressive visual. And I can tell you, yeah, from my vantage point, I was over by like the production tables and things like that. And I know I tweeted this out. If there was ever a moment where I wish I had my phone recording some video, 
It was after Allen did that ridiculous spot and the crowd's going nuts. Rich, it was the funniest thing of all time. Gabe Sapolsky, turn, big shit-eating grin on his face, <laughs> turns to Sal, and they do like this exaggerated after-school special high-five. It was the greatest fucking moment. And time stood still after they Ta- hit their high-five. They hit yeah. the high-five. Credits roll. Freeze frame. Credits roll. Sal and fucking Gabe happy like pigs and shit. This match, and there was a lot going on here with it turning into a handicap and then becoming a six-man and then all the crazy spots and getting Zack Sabre Jr. over. Couldn't have come off better. Gabe agreed. He was the happiest man on earth after this match, marching around the building, strutting with his chest out, you know. And it's just, it, it, just, it just, but this was a perfect example of a crazy opener. They had Tracy Williams and Laredo Kid doing a little lucha stuff there. And then that catch point versus Kincaid and Guevara match, I don't know what you thought of that with Dixon yeah, and Jaka against Kincaid and Guevara. Uh, this Kincaid and Guevara team, they have this weird chemistry where they're... I want them to be a team forever. It's like, they, again, like, they, you know that they don't talk, but they just, like, go out to the ring because they're, like... I would love that idea of them as a team. Like, they just... They don't ever speak to each other outside of wrestling, but they just happen to be very good as a team, so they just team every time. And, like, and they worked well together. It was like a... It's one of the... It, we get it in, in, in New Japan with that Ricochet, David Finley, and, and Kojima thing where it's like, you don't know why they have chemistry. They just have chemistry, and it works. It's like, all right, well, now you do this. All right, cool. Now now I'll do this. All right, now it kind of works. Like, that's cool. Let's do that again. Like, they, you could tell they were kind of feeling it out while they were wrestling, but it worked really well. Can I talk about the ref in this match? You can. The referee in this match was the greatest referee in the kayfabe sense that I've ever seen in my life. I mean, he was just on top of things. He knew the legal men. At one point, um, uh, uh, either Kincaid or Guevara tries to pin, I think it was Dickinson, and the ref is going, no, he's not the legal man. You know, he's waving it off with his arms, right? And then a couple moments later, Dickinson's trying to pin one of the other guys, and the ref comes over, and again, he's like, no, you're not the legal man. you got to get out of the ring. I've never seen he was this black ref, this guy that was refereeing. He was the best kayfabe ref I've ever seen. He just had total control of the legal men. He was sending guys out of the ring. He was refusing to count pinfalls. And this was a wild match. There were bodies yeah, like, Rules. There are rules. <laughs> and you must follow these rules. I was like, rules. this is unbelievable. This guy's in total control. Can, I, can we send this guy to Dragon Gate? Can we get rid of these Dragon Gate refs? And <laughs> can Black Evolve ref please go to Dragon Gate and straighten out Dragon Gate? Because let me tell you something. If Genki Horiguchi's trying to hug this guy in the corner while, you know, they're doing... Uh, oh, he's, he's not going to stand for that. Yeah, yeah, a running train of flying elbows in the corner. And once that, like, 90-foot resistance band comes out, he's just going to yank it out of their hands. Like, no. It. That's <laughs> yeah. right. That yellow box is never coming into play. Black Evolve Ref is going to clean that up, okay? I'm telling you right now, he needs to go to Dragon Gate because they have the poorest officials in wrestling. He would clean up that situation immediately. I love this guy. I thought the ref was just as good as the wrestlers in this match. I was loving this guy. I couldn't believe how good this referee was. But, yeah, so Dickinson and Jocko win. But Guevara and Kincaid, I thought both of them came off very well. I thought this was the best showcase for Guevara yet. Uh, The other thing was it was in Texas. He's worked in this building before. He got a great – I don't know if it came across on on the feed, but he got a great reception when he came out. I mean, people knew who he was. They popped for him. I thought that was important. Same thing, of course. Next match, ACH in Texas. He got the big ovation as well. He got the big pin over Fred Yehi. And remember, Fred Yehi pinned Thatcher the day before in the tag match. Okay, so that was important. So ACH beat a guy who beat the champ, which played into things later on. And I'll tell you, the ACH Yehi match was a very good match, and it might have been my least favorite match on the show. Either that or the Tracy Williams Laredo Kid match. But that's just good. This show was deep and had a lot going on. 
Then you had the Matt Riddle-Dustin match, the plunder match. I didn't get to see much of it because when you're live and they're all over the building, but everybody was raving about it. And, you know, the five minutes of it that I did see, I loved it. What did you think? Because you probably had a better view of it than I did. Um, yeah, it was, it was, I mean, it was pretty remarkable for being, yeah, because you, you didn't see anything, right? Like, from the, you saw the first minute and then never again, right? Uh, oh, sorry, you got a hot text coming. I, I know, I'm sorry. I, I saw I, the, I saw the, and I didn't see anything until like the closing two or three minutes because they were all over okay. the building and I wasn't going to follow them around yeah, like the football. Yeah. Just, <laughs> I'm not the guy who runs around the building following. Yeah, so. that, that's always hard. You just wait for them to get back in yeah. the ring. But uh, no, I thought it was really good. I thought um, Dustin has really become, you know, Dustin all caps, Chuck Taylor has really become fantastic at, at, at doing that the, kind of the plunder style. And I love, you know, some people could have, have, have really ragged on his, his evolve character. And that's like, it's taking all the fun out of Chuck Taylor. And that, I think it's a really cool thing that he's got this little serious side to him. And, and he's great at these type of matches. And we know that from years ago with, with uh, Dragon Gate USA and that Gargano match is one that we always remember. Uh, but he's always been pretty good at these style of matches. So it's cool to see him do a little bit more of it. Uh, Riddell, you don't, you know, Matt Riddell, you, you don't see it with him all that much, but I, I, I thought it was, I thought it was really good. And as far as a brawl go goes, um, it hurt from the crowd not really reacting because they couldn't see shit, which is always kind of a problem. But I thought for a plunder, it, it was a solid plunder match. And, and I thought Dustin really looked good throughout and, and really fits well in that style of a match. So, no, I, I enjoyed it. I, I'd probably go three and a half stars with it. I, I thought I think you, for and that I think, style I think of match. Low, yeah. I think you're the low man because people yeah, were going, I know a lot of people people going it, yeah. crazy for this match. I can't rate it because I didn't see enough of it. What I saw was pretty awesome. I could tell you that I think to expand on the point that you just made, I think that uh, Dustin, as he's now called, he missed his calling as a hardcore wrestler. I mean, this guy, whenever he's in this style of match, he knocks it out of the park. And you wouldn't think that a guy like Chuck Taylor would excel in this style of wrestling. But if you look history-wise, the Johnny Gargano match, there was a match with John Davis. Uh, Whenever he's in a situation to have this style of match, he always does a tremendous job. This guy's a great brawler. He's just not consistently in a position to show it. I think... Um, he may have missed his calling. He may have, have had a better career if he had worked more of that style because he always delivers every single time when he's in position to have a match like this. Timothy Thatcher, Jeff Cobb. You know, <laughs> it, you know. It, it, here's the thing. I'm being 100% serious now. People think we come on here and I'm doing a gimmick or we're doing a gimmick. Rich, th- this guy is a fucking bore. I mean... And it's it's funny because what Thatcher is doing technically is fine, and he's very good at what he does. But, Rich, what does it matter if it's fucking boring? Okay? I feel like this guy and, – and I wrote an Evolve review last year. I forget what show it was. But the word for Timothy Thatcher without question is masturbatory. I feel like he's just trying to please himself with these matches. I think he really digs this style of wrestling. I think he knows that he's – really good at this, but the problem is it's not crowd-pleasing in any way. There's three types of fans at every Timothy Thatcher match, and they're very easy to identify. There's people who really couldn't care less about what he's doing, but they'll politely clap for him because they're being respectful, but they're bored. There's (laughs) There's people who are really into Timothy Thatcher, but see, here's the thing. They're not into the match either because... He doesn't – his style isn't conducive to high spots that pop you. 
It doesn't build either. It's, it's just kind built. of worthless nothing. And and that's that's what I've always had with, right. with Thatcher. Is, and there's been people that really love some of these matches or whatever. And I've kind of come away from every single Thatcher match going, okay, I didn't get it. Like, he just kind of does his shit for 10 minutes and then wins or loses. You know, like, I, I don't, there's no build. There's no progression of moves. There's no callbacks. It's just kind of like I fuck around in the ring for 10 minutes and then we get to the finish, yeah. and it's just like, all and right. Even if, <laughs> like, and even if you appreciate him and like him, there's no opportunity to react to anything because the matches aren't structured that way. And then the third type of fan watching these Thatcher matches are people who just can't stand the guy anymore, and they're catcalling him, and they're booing when they're not supposed to. And you know, every three or four minutes during a Timothy Thatcher match, any Timothy Thatcher match I've ever been to live, every three or four minutes – there's some fan in some corner of the building who shouts, Thatcher, you fucking suck. It's like, <laughs> you know it. You've seen this guy. I mean, it, it, every three or four minutes, someone yell, is catcalling him. Or they're booing at the, at the brawling, cause they, uh, at the grappling because they, they want the guys to get off the mat and, and fight. Yeah. So there's three distinct fans, and it makes for the weirdest fucking atmosphere when this guy wrestles. You said it, that the crowd didn't really react to the, the, the Riddle-Dustin match. Live, they did. The crowd was it blew the roof off the place. Then you have this match, which totally took everybody down and out of the show. It was just such a drastic dichotomy. No one reacts to this guy. A third of the people don't give a fuck. A third of the people are just being polite and don't know what the fuck they're watching. And a third of the people like it, but there's no opportunity to react. Can this guy do a high spot now and then? Can he do a high spot now and then? Can he throw it? Or just something? make anything look like it hurts. Make anything look like it, it, it's a, a tough move. Make a big punch or a bit, it's something, anything. Like, I'm not saying he has to be doing, you know, topes and stuff like that, but Jesus Christ, can you punch a guy? Can you, can you put in a lock that really looks like it hurts? Can, it's just like, you just dance. It, it, yeah, I, I'm, I'm so over it. Yeah. Peak to something. Yeah. He, he, you know, and here's the other thing. Maybe we give him too much credit. We always come on here and say this guy's a good worker. It's just a – maybe he's not a good worker because if you're not peaking to anything and your matches aren't building to anything and they're just these catch- – Bet MGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Virginia. Turn $5 into $150 instantly when you place your first wager at Bet MGM. Simply download the Bet MGM app and sign up using code CHAMPION150. Then – Place a $5 wager on any sport. You'll receive $150 in bonus bets, regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the king of sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same game parlays, live bets, and so much more. Download the app in Virginia today and get $150 in bonus bets instantly from your first wager. Only at BetMGM. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer. Subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. 